I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. This week, we welcome regular co-host Dan Phillips to review the September 8th, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Dan, how are you doing today? Very good, thank you. I like the intro there. Yeah, regular co-host. So, since we last spoke on air, I have a really, really important question for you. And that question is, don't you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the whites are going up, up don't you know up, up. the whites are going up so I'm very sorry that's a, that's a little uh, for, our, for our US listeners that is a song about our football team or soccer team that's just been promoted to the to the Premier League set to is it a 2000s dance track don't you know or pump yeah, it up it's a, it, yeah pump it up yeah, it's a certainly a, it's an older track I don't know like you're a bit older were you were you club into that I don't, I don't really remember that going out but then I was more of a hip-hop and R&B sort of man so the, you were. the yeah, dance stuff was just not so much <laughs> what was what was the what was the Sutton vibe back in the day was that more that sort because I imagine Sutton and Corridor were probably pretty similar weren't they garage music oh yeah we had a bit a lot of that in the Blue Orchid back in the day as well so yeah, <laughs> yeah. good stuff so we are here today to review the September 8th, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. And there is a lot going on um, in, this, in this episode. So we'll get straight into it. Um, so, and, and last week was a really uh, strong and newsworthy episode of Mid-South as well. I mean, at the desk we have Joel Watts, who is caught off camera looking for his time cue as they go on air. Did you catch that? Joel is yeah. just like in another world, isn't oh, it? another planet. Yeah. Um, and I won't, I won't spoil it just yet, but at the end of this episode, Probably my favourite thing in the history of my watching Mid South happens involving Joel Watts, which we'll, which we'll get on towards the end. Um, so Joel is caught looking off camera, as you said, uh, and there's Bill Watts. Joel runs through the card, and for the first time ever, they have a triple handicap bout with Hercules Hernandez versus three men, a signing for the Fantastics versus the Midnight Express, with some special stipulations for the Mid South Tag Team Championship. There are also two television main events. Dr. Death Steve Williams versus G- Gentleman Chris Adams and Terry Taylor alongside Johnny Mantel versus Ernie Ladd and Crusher Khrushchev. Uh, we also have Adrian Street, Hacksaw, Butch Reed and Buddy Landell. So Bill says that next week Boyd will be back and has asked him to, th- and he has asked him to thank everyone for all the cards and letters and that they can still send them and they put on the screen the graphic for Mid-South Sports again. So Bill says that Boyd loves wrestling and he loves the fans and he was really touched uh, touched by the fans' response in a time of tragedy that's really overwhelmed him. Did you, did you we, I don't know if you saw the last, last week's episode or not, but basically last week on air, um, Bill Watts sadly announced that Boyd Pierce's mother had passed away. So that's what this is, uh, that's what this is all about, basically. Um, so we head in ring for the triple handicap match. We have Terry Ellis, Rick McCall. Can I just, I just go on, you go on. Yep. Um, I thought you were going to ask me, did I Google the address? And the answer is yes, I did. Oh, okay, go on. And does it, does it still exist? What is there yeah. now? Well, this is the thing. It is, it's a house. And it says the house, it's a family home, was built in 1930. Okay. It doesn't look like it were, ever would have been an office. Did it have a PO it, box number on it at the start? But then no, it was no. It, no, I can tell you, I've got it here. One one six West Beckenridge, and then the thing is, they left out Avenue. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it's got Bixby, Oklahoma seven four zero zero eight. So if anyone wants to check themselves, estimated price on Zillow, which I assume is our equivalent of Rutupla, two hundred and thirty three thousand pound. Okay. Yeah, it says it's built in nineteen thirty. Includes a basement, a storm shelter, and a bonus room what's a um, bonus room so I'm guessing see 
basement, obviously, is a basement, right? It's under the house. I assumed a storm shelter would be the same, but unless there's a storm shelter inside the basement and the bonus room, which I learned was sort of like an annex on the side. Okay, yeah. Um, but going back to the thing, as I said, it was built in 1930. I wonder if it was his actual house. I think this is built. Bill, Bill Watts lived in Bixby for years and years and years. So this is, so maybe this is his house. Bill yeah. Watts' actual house. But yeah. are, they, are people really giving out? Is he really giving out his house live on air? Like, well, you... But again, this is what I didn't understand. It didn't say sort of converted office or anything. No. And no. I'll tell you what, it's down, it's down a residential street. It's really? definitely, yeah. So anyway, I searched it. I mean, that is ridiculous. So he, d- he doesn't live there now. According to this, he's, he, moved, he moved to Florida. But um... oh, no, oh, no, it was sold in 2013. Oh, was it? Well, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Z- wow, you've got... Zillow.com had, the, had everything that you need. This is, this is a bit mad, isn't it? Because you just wouldn't... Addresses just wouldn't be given out now. But then I suppose then you could have easily found that with the old A to Z roadmaps or something, couldn't you, in, the, in yeah, terms of paper form? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, unless you really... I mean, why would you go there? Just, oh, yeah. right. so I yeah. don't see why they wouldn't have. The, you know the other I, thing... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, you go, go on. I was going to say, well, I wonder if people did turn up there and try to get autographs <laughs> and stuff. I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, but it wouldn't yeah, surprise so me at all. That was just a side. And the other thing, just just uh, little things that I sort of noticed. You mentioned about Joel sort of looking a bit like a lost puppy. Mm. Uh, yeah, this was your first first show. Not only does he look a lost puppy, and then you choose to see his dad. Like he, <laughs> like he is quite literally on work experience. Which yes, I've seen him. I know. I know he's sort of we've sort of, you touched on before with other people. He's not the best host uh, or renounced to say. However, he looked it like he looked like a work experience boy with his dad. Yeah. But I also noticed I just find weird like he introduced his own dad as cowboy Battlefield. What makes him <laughs> yeah. wonder does he call his dad cowboy at home? And also they were standing up. Yes, they were standing up. So there's a, there was a new desk last week where they're standing up now rather than oh, uh, okay. so they've got a, fi- a red phone on there. I, I think about the Joe Watts thing, you think that your work, your basically in work experience for your dad's company, and he's out there with Boyd or Jim Ross, and that's that's quite a level of pressure. But then yeah. you're out there with your dad's in your dad's company with your dad on air, and they and I don't pot- think and you, and you potentially just put your home address online. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they. Re- I don't think they. We've seen lots of botches and things that haven't worked, and and, and such like in this. Uh, no, no, and that, that 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 sounds too far. As if it's like a messy and and you know uh, that's not not what my intention. What I'm saying is this is taped live to air. This is this is they tape it and then they move on and that's it. And they're not re- they're not really cutting anything for anything. So if Joel Watts is staring off into space looking looking for a time cue when they come on, they're not going to go back and retake. They're just going to get in, get out and get it gone and get it get it done yeah. basically. Uh, so yeah, we head in the ring for the triple handicap match which is Terry Ellis, Rick McCord and Paul Brown who will all be going up against Hercules. Jim Cornette is in the ring with his brown mask and says, if Hurt can't beat all of these men within 10 minutes, he will give each of them $500. Hercules starts on top, but then all three men get on, get on him as he holds Rick McCord in the, sh- in the Shonomaki uh, submission move. Hercules then smashes one with a clothesline that nearly hits one of the other opponents in the head. Uh, what says that Hercules reminds him of when Duggan first joined the promotion and that he was a street fight waiting to happen. Hercules gets a Shinomaki on again on another opponent and is eventually fought off. Uh, but this leads to the second guy run, rolling out of the ring uh, and being helped out on the outside by referees. Uh, so this leaves just one poor gentleman, Terry Ellis, to be destroyed by Hercules. Joel Watts says he feels sorry for him. Bill says he's wondering where, this, where his mother is and why did he ever get involved in pro wrestling. Hercules gets a Shinomaki on 
Terry Ellis and is awarded the match by stoppage in 245. What says on commentary that Terry Ellis is like a corpse out there and it is, a, it is like dying being in there with Hercules, which is a bit much. Um, I thought this was okay, but I think a better format would have been an actual elimination match where Hercules had to get the decision on each man. So pin each one, submit each one, whatever. What did you think of this uh, opening three-on-one contest? Yeah, I liked it. I liked how they sort of bigged it up. So you're sort of like, okay, it's just, you know, I think they were saying it's a first for Mid-South. Mm. Um, I think they were all allowed to sort of go at him at once when you get these sort of handicap matches now certainly from what I recall, that it's sort of you're one-on-one and the other two are outside. You're supposed to tag in and out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so I actually quite liked that they were all they could all beat him up. I mean, when they panned to them originally, I was just like, this is like, this is the definition of a jobber. The free, <laughs> free like, original, like, right, do you want to go out there and wrestle this guy? Yeah, right, you're going to wear wrestling pants, wrestling boots, go out there, get beaten up. Yeah. Like they are the, they were the, like they could have designed three better. They were like, you know, something for everyone there. <laughs> um, and then, so that, that sort of, sort of stood out to me. And then obviously Jim Cornette in his full, his full mask. Yes. Um, yep. sex, sex shop style mask, I think. I think <laughs> we call that. This um, is explained, but not till next week, sadly. So yeah, that's what I thought was a bit like, and they mentioned that as well. Yeah. I'll explain next week, but it's quite a big thing. Uh, but I mean also like the women shouting out and I don't know if this is linked but there's women shouting out you ain't got no hair oh oh okay well that is linked yeah I right. didn't spot that's a great that's a great shout I mean so I'll the crowd, give it I'll, the, cra- the crowd are singing that yeah I mean I'll give it I'll give it away and I'll go through this in more detail on the next show but basically um, he he gets some hair cut off at the Superdome that's how would he happen so possibly um, yeah I'm I'm suppose. Yeah, they were seeing Yeah, they that. could have been, yeah, because put on New Orleans isn't a super, yeah, super distance, so they could have they could have been there and seen it. So that's that's why, yeah. Yeah. Um sort of that. Um yeah, and then another observation, and I don't want to keep uh, this pod started very UK niche orientated, but the referee <laughs> sport in a permanent moustache that looked like a young Mickey Pierce from Fools and Horses. Oh so yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. UK viewer, you you might quite like that. Um but actually, the, in regards to the actual match itself, um, I like to, number one, obviously, is to show that he's, you know, super strong and everything. And actually, for me, the bit that you went, okay, that's showing is he eliminated with, he had a uh, guy in the headlock and the other guy was sort of hitting him and he just wasn't even flinching. Yes. You yeah. know what I mean? Now, normally, you know, you've got someone in submission move, someone comes over, hits you, you the, the move's released. And this was, he was being attacked and he's still not this guy I'm not, yeah, exactly. I'm going to keep this on. I've just looked up actually, Shreveport to to New Orleans is five hours. So fair play to whoever did, whoever was there. I mean, it wasn't a full chorus, but there was, I heard that. And uh, look, and I didn't know what the background was. So I've definitely not made it up. (laughs) No, no. Uh, Good on them. Whoever whoever made that, uh, you know, that trip back way back then. So... (laughs) Um, so after the break, we have uh, Ross Grizzly Smith, Jim Cornette, plus the Midnight Express and the Fantastics. Ross says Ross says there are three special stipulations that Smith is going to go through. First, there will be a no DQ rule. Cornette says a point of order. Does that mean if someone was to use a banned item that doesn't count because it's no DQ? Smith says they cannot use any of those items because it's a tag team title match, which I didn't think made any sense. But fair question from Jim Cornette. No. Um, there are no, there is to be no substitutions under any circumstances. 
Cornet again queries this and says that a few weeks ago, one of his men was attacked in a cowardly way and adds it has to be the two men signed. Uh, he kept saying it counts for them and counts for us. So clearly they're building up that stipulation. That, you know, if someone's injured and they can't compete, they lose the match. Uh, Ross, Ross asks if everyone understands and the Fantastics nod. Cornet asks what if one of his men couldn't turn up as they were the champions? Smith says that would mean they would forfeit, forfeit the titles. Again, he says, well, if it counts for them, it counts for us. Cornette reads over the contract, says he has power of attorney for his men and signs, and then the Fantastics sit down and sign the contract as well. Cornette has another point of order. He says there's no way to change the clauses or reverse anything or change it. It's been signed. Smith confirms this and then says they'll see them in the ring. The Midnights then attack with powder and the Fantastics get some devastating looking chair shots from Eaton while Condry is holding onto them. Um, some of these are ultra stiff and it left both the Fantastics bleeding on the ring floor as the referees came in to try and basically trying to help them out there. Uh, and Terry Taylor is out checking them as well. I thought this was quite a heavy duty angle here. These chair shots, crikey, this is not, you know, no, you know, you know what I'm like on chair shots and stuff at home what we know now. So th- these, were, these weren't 80s head chair shots. Eaton took these guys head off in there. Uh, what did you think of this angle? I mean, this was, you know, I actually, this angle, this this section finished, and I was like, "Whoa, this yeah. is Mid South's gone up a notch here on their aggression." I don't know. I just did not see that coming. I know the yeah. bits before, yeah, but the chair shots. I mean, with, I mean, you had the um, yeah the contract side in. You had the Fantastics in their matching white suits. Nice to see them in clothes. Yes. Week. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was always lovely yeah, to nice. see that they do have a little wardrobe of clothes there. Um, <laughs> He also mentioned, he said, oh, three stipulations. Said So then, as you said, no DQ, but you can't use the ban list because this is a title match. Yeah. Okay. Does It's sort of semi-DQ then. I didn't really get that bit. Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless, okay, so everything but the ban list, I guess. Then he said no substitutions. Then when he was explaining no substitutions, I assume then the third one was the no-show. Yes, yes. Because the way it was done was like no substitutions if, you know, and then he went on. That's basically the same thing really, isn't it? Yes, that's what I was thinking. But okay, fine. Um, I did like that he said, so listen carefully and yet Cornette questioned every single one. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not listening carefully. Um, I also like the touch of I've got power of attorney. Completely unnecessary (laughs) bit of information. Purely uh, outlived as well. Just in case there's any lawyers listening, this is a, this is a, this is a fish. No, you can't Um, challenge this. (laughs) Yeah. You're not right Um, to that address. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But honestly, the chair shots, oh, like, to be honest, uh, you know, I, I think I've said before, if I see sort of blood, I go back and try and find. Mm. I, I'm i pretty confident that could have been real. Really? Wow. Both their heads are bleeding. I did not see where they... That, I mean, God, I, it didn't even... They didn't even look like the chairs that you sort of see them use now where you think they've got a bit of give. Mm. They look like, like actual proper decent chairs oh like, yeah like, not bringing bring AEW up but yeah other week in AEW you had Sammy Guevara throw an actual chair at Matt Hardy yeah, yeah, yeah. at Matt Hardy a real yeah. chair um, it was a bit like they were using like a project because like, it was oh it just it was it was brutal oh, really, they were like really probably, brutal Aiton probably th- probably probably uh, swung those chairs like probably like three quarter power yeah but, like, but but which is hard and they made a like a really big oh. sound they just smashed them didn't they it was really there was like fun. screams like actual yeah. screams from the crowd yeah like, I mean that, it, this screams. is this is I mean I don't I think it, at the house shows Mid-South was a 
not not a super super blood and guts promotion but fairly violent there would be blood and um, as a lot of promotions would have been back then but this 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 was ramping the violence up to, to quite a degree on, yeah. on television and probably higher than we've seen previously um so back from break what said a few months ago they had a signing for a title match because the fans were interested in the intricacies of contractual situations uh, involving championship matches but nothing like what we just saw happen then he said that without a doubt Cornet set a trap with no disqualification, no substitution, and no show clause as a forfeit. Watt said he went backstage and the Fantastics were unconscious and badly lacerated, and Grizzly Smith was so shaken that he wouldn't discuss it right now. He's going to fly to Tampa to meet Charlie Lay and the board of directors of Mid-South Sports to decide what they're going to do with Cornette, and Watt will be there as well, and Cornette is not going to go with these, get away with these criminal tactics. Uh, what did you think of this follow-up here? I mean, this this, this obviously... Quite often, I know it's myself, you'll have like the match and then it will move to the next segment and they probably won't really discuss too much what's happened yep. previously. Very fast um, paced. Yeah. This, they continue to talk about what's happened and that's obviously the fit that, and it becomes a bit of a theme, I think. Like you get, mm. they mention this incident for the rest of the show. Um, so that adds even more to its, um, its, its impact they wanted it to have. Um, I guess my only observation would be, are fans interested in the intricacies of contract signings? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I thought that probably not, but I thought that was quite a nice touch from Watts to explain why they, I mean, this is the thing you see these in everything now. A, I a, know. AEW doesn't do this too much, but WWE is a real like, you know, tired storyline device that they wheel out all the time. Yeah. Um, I think they had one on AEW. Uh, sorry, on they've done. They've, they've done one on AEW. They don't want to. They've done it. Done. Yeah. They won, I won on NXT. I think when someone set fire to someone a week or so ago. So um, yeah, it's just constantly rolled this out. But I, yeah, I think that was just a not like a touch from Watts to say that you know why why yeah. was this a thing in the first place. Next we have Doctor Death Steve Williams versus Gentleman Chris Adams, another Brit. Uh, it's a Brit British takeover mid South Wrestling at the moment from the Myriad Center in Oklahoma. This is the first time in a little while that we've had some match action from outside of Shreveport. Watts is on commentary and says that there are a lot of fans in the area that are still fond of Dr. Death, even though he's quite a controversial figure. Watts says that Chris's brother just recently got a silver medal in judo at the Olympics. And having looked this up, this is Neil Adams, who got a silver medal in the 78 kilo category, having lost to Philip Leshak in the former Yugos- from the former Yugoslavia in the semifinal. So presumably no bronze medal match there. If you, if you lose in the semifinal, you get a silver medal, which is not bad. So you can go home, partying, it's over, no bronze medal match. Yeah. Um, what says there's still a bond there between him and Williams, even though he thinks he hasn't found his way yet. Joel pops up on commentary uh, and for this one as well. And um, these two do almost nothing for the first two and a half minutes here before Adams traps Williams in a side headlock and takes him down. Williams gets on top at the four minute mark with a big boot to the stomach and rains down stomps on Adams before knocking him out of the ring with a punch. And what says it would be like getting cuffed by a grizzly bear there's a shoulder block exchange with both men refusing to go down until finally the little man from England, as Watts calls him, smashes him out of the ring with a charge and follows up with a nice drop kick when Williams made it back in. Adams missed a middle rope headbutt and Williams followed up with some boots to the face, which Watts said were legal but brutal. Um, Williams then went up to the middle rope, missed a splash out of the corner to a big reaction from the crowd. Um, Adams slams Williams head into some unusually small turnbuckles before following up with what was basically switching music super kick. Williams ultimately catches Adams with a double leg and pins him with his feet on the ropes in eight and a half minutes. Uh, and this was the longest match that I've seen so far in Mid-South. Um, and though it started really slowly, it was nice to see what was basically a full-length house show match between these two names. And um, what did you think of this match between Williams and Adams? Um, 
it was obviously, as I said, from a remote location mm. and filmed accordingly. Yes. It was filmed like someone, is, when you used to get a DVD, an illegal DVD that someone had filmed in the cinema. <laughs> uh, yes. It looked like someone that was filming that illegally. Like, oh, I've got a front row seat here. I'm just going to stick this camera just between the bottom and middle rope uh, and hopefully you'd get this match recorded. Which well, obviously... It was quite amusing, but it obviously ruined it a little bit because you couldn't really see. It does show you the power of getting good camera angles and all of this. Oh yeah, believe it or not, have you have you seen one of it? Because I'm not sure if you've done a done a show when they've done a, done something like this before and shown sure. a match. Of a, no, see, believe it or not, this is one of the better production oh, okay. they've had of this because there's a couple in there. They went for a stage where they showed these and they were really really dicey and awful. But this is actually single camera shots at underneath the ring rope. Actually, one of the better ones. But I, I take your point. It's it's a little bit grating to go from one one to the other, isn't it? In yeah. terms of the production. Yeah, um, I know the little man from England. Actually, made me think about, I wonder what you're, it's that like, obviously your American listeners don't know that you're quite tall. So I was just picturing that the American listeners might go, oh, you listen to that little man from England. Yeah, little man from England, yeah. (laughs) I was hoping that maybe that's like a little little (laughs) nickname that that, that you could adopt. Um, Because, because, just to clarify, Chris Adams is certainly not a little man. No, no, no. Um, You know, if, if Chris Adams walk through the high, uh, high street in England, no one's calling that guy a little man. Well, uh, no. I mean, if, I, I tell you what, if he, if he walked through a high street in England now, it would be quite a shock because he passed away in, in October 2001. But, um, Sorry. Be... Sorry, factually correct. You, you Jim Cornetted me there to make yeah. sure everything's uh, factually correct. Yeah, yeah he's, um, I was just, just looking up his stats, he's six foot, he was six foot one. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that's a, not a little man, is it? No, that's, that's not a little man. I mean, there we go. Chris I think Adams. it's to try and obviously show how big Dr. Depp is, isn't it? So. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chris Adams actually had a pretty... Um, pretty horrible ending actually so he um i think he he uh he so in april i was going to read it out rather than pitch on a bit business so in april 2000 adams and his girlfriend of four months linda Kappengus, were both found unconscious inside a friend's apartment the victims of an overdose of the drug ghb and alcohol adams recovered um but linda died at a local hospital 10 hours later um, and then over a year later adams was indicted on a manslaughter charge uh, but on october 7th 2001 while awaiting a trial he was fatally shot in the chest during a drunken brawl with a friend um, in, in Texas. Uh, and the gun owner claimed self-defense and was acquitted of all charges. Um, so, yeah, quite a grisly, wow. yeah, grisly. And I think Adams, a lot of guys from the, so he was more predominantly world-class. Um, a lot of people around that area had a lot, of, a lot of problems. And he was married to Steve Austin's first wife before Austin was married to her as well as another interesting okay. bit, Jeannie Clark. Um, so we'll try and, try and lighten the mood a little bit after that. Well, so, actually, uh, to be to, to, oh, sorry, actually, not to like. Not so long, but on the, the, on the Dr. Death bit, um, I think I sort of messaged you in the last few weeks. I started catching up on the dark side of the ring. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. actually quite interesting, actually, seeing Dr. Death since I watched the Brawl for All mm. episode where I sort of, I don't think I really understood this, but there was a lot of emphasis around number one, Dr. Death was meant to win that. Yep. Brawl for All. And obviously they couldn't, um, they couldn't, they couldn't, uh, uh, make him win it because well, the they, point of well, they, it was, they it was could, a brawl for all. Yeah, they could have uh, done, but they just didn't. They didn't choose to do that. I mean, they, no, they, they, they chose they, to make yeah. it real, right? Yeah, um, exactly. But also, the, it was very interesting in that brawl for all where they they did. There was a lot of mention by a lot of the other wrestlers that seemed to despise Steve Williams for being Jr's boy. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting actually because it was that's a bit of that wasn't really to do with 
the dark side of the ring, but a lot of wrestlers sort of seem to feel the need to bring that up. Yes. Um, and I think now, obviously, for me, when I'm watching episodes, I'll probably maybe look about how Jahel commentates on him more. Yeah. Um, just because I'm quite interested in that now, because it just, they really emphasised it. So Jim Ross's role back then was head of talent relations, and he basically was in charge of sort of house show um, payoffs, sort of hiring and firing to a certain extent. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's still Vince McMahon's company. So Jim Ross was used quite a lot for bad news um, and, and uh, you know, creative has nothing for you. But actually, Vince would spin that. So it would be J- Jim Ross was a bad guy. I think Jim Ross is overwhelmingly popular with most, most people. But there's a lot of jealousy in 98. If someone's saying to you, this person's, this person's Jim Ross's you know, old friend from Oklahoma and he's coming in to work with Steve Austin. And, and I heard some, some stuff on this. I was listening to a review of the, the, the UK pay-per-view Capital Carnage from December 98 last week. And they were talking about some of the average attendances in the, in the WWF in late, late 1998. And their average attendances before the, before the pandemic, you're probably talking about maybe three or 4,000 for a live event. These guys were doing four or five nights a week of 10,000 plus houses sold out everywhere. If you've got an, even got a house show run with Steve Austin, you're having your best year ever. If you get on pay-per-view with him, you know, you're talking about an incredible amount of money. So you can understand the jealousy there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the thing around, around Ross and Williams. I think Ross knew that Williams, you know, Williams had been involved in a lot of heavy duty, hard hitting matches in all Japan for years and years and years and was definitely physically past his best. But you know, in the right circumstances with the right, uh, right push, then maybe him and Austin could have, could have done something, but it just wasn't, it wasn't to be because they, you know, they decided to do something stupid. Why, why, why have a real match in a work yeah. world of pro wrestling control the finishes? That's the, that's the advantage that you've got that, you know, boxing and mixed martial arts don't have. Yeah. Um, so we cut back to Watts and he calls it the most important victory on television so far for Williams in front of what he calls his stomping ground. Um, Brickhouse Brown and Sonny King versus Germany's favourite son Hans Schroeder and bad Bob Owens are up next. There's a good reaction for Brickhouse and not a bad one for King either. Um, Brown started and Watts says that Brickhouse is more than tough. He's looked death in the face and he's come back from it. Watts says that King wants to look out for Brown like a big brother. Um, there's an odd bit where Owens ran the ropes but Brickhouse Brown tagged out and when he turned around, his opponent wasn't there. Uh, Brickhouse ultimately won this with a drop kick on Owens in 248. Uh, not much to this. What did you think of this uh, this tag team match? Yeah, so it's the first time I've seen Brickhouse um, and he stood out very good. Really yep. impressed, actually. Uh, made me think, oh, okay, I'm excited to see more of this guy. Um, very much a match that looked like old be new. You know, mm. Okay, so King King's obviously a bit of a, an old statesman, should we say? But Brickhouse is, you know, look young, look fresh. The other two look like washed up, didn't yes. they? I mean, they look yeah. washed up old men. Um, and so there was that. But again, going back to what I said earlier, something that stood out for me: this is they continue during the commentary to talk about the incident from earlier. Yes, yes, very and again, much it's so. not something that I was sort of I'm really used to them continuing to bring up. Mm. Um, so it shows you that you know that's obviously a real big angle that I, I suspect is going to be quite big going forward oh yeah absolutely um, yeah. so back from the break Ross explains that a few weeks ago they had the opportunity to see Magnum TA Tommy Rogers and Terry Taylor work out in the ring now Buddy Landell and Hacksaw Butch Reed have demanded some time to show the people how they work out Reed says that how they work out is how to work out period uh, they need some competition around there and he challenges the brick house to come down 
Landell adds that Reed earned the name Hacksaw and Brickhouse, and they talk over each other a bit here. And it's a little bit tough to follow. Um, Ross says if Mr. Brown wants to come down, it's certainly his prerogative to do so. Reed does some jumping, clapping, rocky style push ups as Brickhouse Brown finally makes his way down to ringside. Uh, Reed says he wants that boy in there and, he's, and says he has a bunch of powdered cement. Um, Brown makes his way on, onto the apron as Reed shouts at him to do some push-ups and says he shouldn't be scared. And um, then Reed gets down on the floor and challenges him to an arm wrestle. Landell says if he lets Reed arm wrestle this geek, he's going to pull his arm out of his socket and says that he should take his uh, take his place basically here. Um, Landell gets down on the floor and they grip in the arm wrestling position. And just as Brown is taking control and wins, Reed's heads up to the top rope and tries to attack, but Sonny King makes a save. And um, I thought this whole thing went on way, way too long for me. Uh, and while both Landell and Reed are often good on promos, um, I don't think either man was all that great here. Unfortunately, Reed has the uh, bad habit of being very shouty in his promos. Um, and you, t- you put the combination of this versus the fact that this is probably a, a YouTube uh, clip basically from a VHS someone's, someone's had from years and years ago. And you just can't really hear what he's saying quite a lot of the time. It's just a bit grating. Uh, what did you think of this segment overall? Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you said, it was quite hard to understand what they were talking about to start off with. Um, then he's talking about doing yeah, say push-ups and stuff. Um, Brickhouse comes back out. So I was like, oh, here we go. I don't know. I'm not had to wait long to see more yeah, of this yeah. fella. Um, Mid-South, great again for the um, bringing back the old school insults. A geek. Yes. <laughs> Brickhouse is not what I would have called a geek. Uh, no. <laughs> well, he doesn't resemble the epitome of a geek, I wouldn't no. say. Um, and But talk, but keeping on the schoolboy theme, they didn't have an arm wrestle. <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah. which I think we've all done at some point or other, particularly at primary school. Yeah, let's arm wrestle for it. <laughs> that, or, that or a fun war. Um, oh yeah, but um, yeah, I, as you say, it was a bit of a bit of a mess, really. It was um, a bit. Yeah, I thought so. I too. didn't really get a purpose of it. Um, they barely. I mean, they're there to watch them work out. I didn't even do that really. No, um, uh, and this didn't really this... get a point. No, they were trying. They were trying to take off a segment that Magnum and yeah. um, and the. Uh, Tommy Rogers and Terry Taylor did a couple weeks ago, which is actually really good. They were like really hard, hard at it grappling and stuff. And it's actually really quite a good segment. Actually, I'm underplaying that. It was a fantastic segment they had, but this just didn't, just doesn't work for me. Um, so back from the break, we had, have another appearance from a, another Brit. Um, Adrian Street is back. And he, this time he's going up against the green machine, Robert Christie and his horrendous non-matching and actually clashing green tights and singlet. Um, Adrian is out with Miss Linda again to his theme and he struts around the ring, points out to the crowd and then poor Linda's back is used again as a ladder so that Adrian can step on it and climb into the ring. There's a few cheers but mostly thumbs down from the crowd. Um, Adrian checks himself out in a mirror and Miss Linda helps him out of his robe. The crowd then out of nowhere bursts into a song of You Ain't Got No Alibi, You Ugly, which... This might just have been, well, it, this, is, this is the second most incredible moment in the history of pro wrestling. No, sorry, that's wrong. This is the most incredible moment in the history of pro wrestling. Uh, absolutely there. What did you think of this? <laughs> oh, this was just, I, do you know what? I hadn't seen this guy before. I was just going, what is this? Um, then I do the research and go, oh, he's English. Great. <laughs> I think he's actually, he's actually Welsh. So Okay, oh, brilliant. That's, <laughs> that's better then. Um, but you got, you got, I've got here notes, Robert Christie in his lounge clothes, you know, 
it's stuff that either you'd wear like a bit, bit like oh I'll save that I'll save that for when I'm doing painting around the house because I don't care if it gets covered in paint or whatever um, and then the complete opposite end of the spectrum that's Adrian Street exotic Adrian Street which also made me reminded me of the Tiger King yeah and actually I can sort of could have also seen Joe Exotic walking out like that uh, in in that thing you know the only other time I've seen someone like that is Gold Dust um, and, and you say about the, the, the booze and, and obviously you just touched upon the crowd just out of nowhere coming up with that song I must admit I did wonder if given the time we spoke about this before if that was a male audience whether it would have had a lot tougher time coming out yeah perhaps, I think the yeah. female audience helps it helped a little bit to keep that fairly cheers and joyous because I can't imagine that would have gone down well with some old like you know male wrestling no they were, they were certainly pushing, no, that, I mean. pushing that button hard there interestingly Dan while you were speaking um, one of my cats uh, clearly not happy with me podcasting or perhaps giving some feedback has walked in and th- thrown up on the floor which is quite nice of her so there you go. that's so fantastic uh, yeah thanks very much for that Mabel <laughs> such, a, such an absolute delight that I'll be clearing up shortly uh, but no I completely, I completely agree I think they they haven't in terms of pushing that button, they haven't pushed it so hard yet, um, but they're starting to, uh, and, I, and I think, and I understand they start to push it, push it harder. Um, so back in ring here, Miss Linda sprays uh, Agent Street with what I think is Rowjex. You remember ever, ever used to play a bit of Rowjex before Sunday football? Rowjex, now what? Deep Deep Heat, yeah. Deep, I think it yeah, changed, yeah, yeah. changed into Deep Heat. Okay, so, yeah. I'm, I'm used to probably using the 80s, uh, the 80s version yeah. right now. Um, so he, she sprays him with the rail jacks and then after dodging a collar and elbow tie-up, Adrian gets caught in an arm lock, which he rolls out of and then something switches in him and we get the ultra-aggressive version of Adrian Street uh, and he follows up with punches and forearms. Um, not a great finish here as Street pins Christy with a leg lock and a bridge in 50 seconds, which I didn't think were very good at all. And um, this wasn't as... His, his debut, the previous week, was really, really good and this wasn't as impactful as last week at all. Um, what did you think of this short match? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's, I don't think it was... Do you know what? I don't think it was really about the the match there was it was more about the intro i think in trying to get the crowd uh riled up you know like mm-hmm. trying to get trying to get reaction um that's that's how i viewed it it's more the match was a bit more was a bit of a sideshow to the main event yeah uh, so I, th- I think they wheeled him out uh in terms of the, the the debut match but then this was you know this was kind of uh you know the um just this just the follow-up the following week Finally, we have our television main event between Terry Taylor and Paul Mantell versus Big Annie Ladd and Crusher Khrushchev making his swan song from Mid-South Wrestling. Um, so there's a really great flying head scissors spot by Mantell on Khrushchev and also an attempt at a Hurricane Rana type move, which he just about gets. Um, apparently, Khrushchev complained to the Russian embassy that his flag had been taken away from him the previous week. Uh, next week, we'll have a complete report on the situation with Jim Cornette and the Fantastics, and also a film clip on why he's wearing the mask he's had on the past two weeks. Um, there's some really strong action in this match, mainly when Ladd was not in there, uh, but he did hit a good drop kick out of nowhere, um, and ultimately this finishes with Taylor hitting Khrushchev with a flying forearm before Mantel hit Khrushchev with a l- Russian leg sweep. Ladd tried to make the save but couldn't, and Mantel then rolled up Khrushchev for the win in 3.41. Um, so what did you think of this, this match? I mean, it's four big stars. I was actually... And there was some solid wrestling. Um, I was actually sort of hoping for a bit more. Yeah. That's the wrong to say. Um, 
you know, the, the ending was, I get the ending, it's sort of how, because I had it, didn't lad finished him off, right? It was his finisher on his own partner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I missed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He dropped yeah. a double leg, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, which is like, I was like, okay, so he's done the finisher on his own partner. Then there was sort of a few seconds passed and he's still able to pin. I don't mm. know, stuff like that just annoys me a little bit. Like, given the amount of stuff they previously kicked out of, I'm like, you'd kick out of that. Yeah. Um, and again, maybe I'm being harsh because they bigged it up, the second main event, and there's four big stars in it. And we'll come to, I'm sure, you know, when we come to the summary, but it's been a pretty good show. I really, yeah, yeah, really yeah, liked it. So, yeah. so I was just hoping for a bit more, maybe. Maybe I built it up like this is going to be a big grand finale. Um, it was fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Maybe I just, just wanted a bit more from four of the top, top stars. Hmm. No, I, compl- I completely agree. It was a short one and it was almost like they, you know, they maybe even they cut this down because it only went 341. So this was the final match in Mid-South Wrestling for Crusher Khrushchev, a.k.a. Barry Darso, who originally debuted in the promotion way back on the 17th of August, 1983, and left following this TV taping for Championship Wrestling from Florida, where he remained until early 85 when he became a fixture in Mid-Atlantic. He took part in some All-Japan tours in late 1985 and autumn 86, and eventually found his way to the World Wrestling Federation on January the 26th, 1987, teaming with Bill Eady as Axe to take on his most memorable role as Demolition Smash. Darso is a former three-time WF World Tag Team Champion, one-time Mid-South Television Champion, two-time NWO World Tag Team Champion along with Nikita Koloff and last wrestled on March 18, 2017 in a match that also included the Rock and Roll Express and Bobby Fulton. Um, I really enjoyed Khrushchev's work in the promotion from the outdoorsman all the way through to the Russian sympathizer. Um, we're back at the desk with Bill and Joel and Joel is talking about the strength of competition in Mid-South and is starting to stumble and Bill hilariously cuts him off and says, Boyd Pierce will be back next week and Joel looks devastated and puts his eyes down to the desk. Did you spot this moment where <laughs> Joel Watts' his heart was literally... Oh. It reminded me of uh, Ralph Wiggum in The Simpsons when you could actually picture the moment his heart was broken. Oh, it, it, it was. It goes back to how I opened it up. It's like a boy and work experience that maybe thinks, do you know what, mum? I think, I, I think I'm doing all right. I think they're going to offer me a full time. I think they're going to offer yeah. me a job, you know? And then gets there and he just gets dashed. Absolutely. Taken away from him. Absolutely brutal. So what did you think of this uh, September the 8th, 1984 episode overall? Um, yeah, what did you think of this? I thought it was a strong show. So what did you think overall? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Loads happened, both in and out ring. Um, I certainly, I, Bill Watts described the night as disappointing due to Jim Cornette and the unusual things with Adrian Street. Um, I assume there's a full stop there, and he hasn't said it's a disappointing night because of Jim Cornette and Adrian Street come out being weird. But yeah. do you know what? Again, then things happening. Obviously, he's he's acting from a professional standpoint, but there's anything but a disappointing night. No, it, made, yeah, yeah. It, made it, it made it what you want as a spectator. Um, minus... Um, Minus the chair shots, which obviously I, I know that you'll uh, that, that, that would have upset you. Yeah, but it's a different um, time, isn't it? I do, I do yeah. get it. Yeah, I do get it. But it was, yeah, a really good episode. Probably, I would say the best one I've reviewed. Um, review, just given the amount of stuff that happened, and there was a lot, yeah, a lot of the stars there. It's always good when you get the ones. Okay, we didn't see them all in the ring, but you still saw them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, good. I enjoyed it. Good stuff. Well, stay with us. It's coming next. We have for this month in wrestling history, a review of the first WF pay-per-view I ever watched. 30th 
30 years ago this month, SummerSlam 1990. And before the we record that, Dan, which we're not doing today, I'm going to try and engage my brain and not so I'm stumbling, pressing mute on the microphone, <laughs> taking phone calls in the middle of it, and all the stuff that you've had to enjoy during this, uh, however long we've been on air for. So, Dan, we shall, uh, we shall cut out now and we shall be back very shortly with a review of WF SummerSlam 1990. SummerSlam, the greatest pay-per-view spectacular of the summer, circles into your home Monday night, August 27th, exclusively on pay-per-view. The immortal Hulk Hogan returns to the ring after suffering a near-career-ending injury to face the earthquake. World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, faces ravishing Rick Rude in the most grueling match in wrestling today, the Steel Cage match. Don't miss SummerSlam, exclusively on pay-per-view. So we are back with Dan Phillips. Uh, Dan, how are you doing today? Very, very good. Good. So this section of the podcast is all about a trip down memory lane. 30 years ago today, the World Wrestling Federation produced their third annual Summer Summer event, this time from the famous Spectrum in Philadelphia. Now, as a fan, I'd seen a little bit of the WWF in 1987 and 1988 on ITV when it would appear in some weeks instead of the British wrestling that viewers have become accustomed to. Um, but it wasn't until shortly after we got Sky TV, which coincided with the first game of Italia 1990, which is the first World Cup I can remember. What's the first World Cup you can remember? 94. 94, yeah. So a lot of my mates can't remember 90. I can actually remember Euro 88, but then I'm... I'm earlier in the year I suppose sure. so that so that Italia 90 um, we got Sky installed that first day when it was I think it was Argentina versus Cameroon and it's comfortably still a top 10 day of all time day of my entire life so that summer was spent um, pushing the big pay-per-view event that was upcoming Summer Sound 1990 just and to clarify on them top 10 I know that I'm definitely at least one of them oh 100% yeah so, maybe two now the, maybe two yeah maybe two happy yeah. days actually potentially <laughs> three because the semi-finals right up there oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. the Derby semi-finals so it's all three, getting a bit pragmatic three in the top <laughs> 10 yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, so that summer was mainly uh, focused around Hulk Hogan's return from injury uh, and the shows back then aired on Sky One and also Eurosport um, and I had in my mind that SummerSlam wouldn't be airing for a few weeks on Eurosport um, because Eurosport typically would would have a two or three week delay for the pay-per-views back then. Um, and it was the, it, with that in mind that on August the 28th, 1990, I headed to Craven Cottage with my dad for Fulham versus 4th Division Peterborough United in the first round of the League Cup. First round, first leg of the League Cup. Fulham lost on the night 2-1, lost the tie overall 4-1 on aggregate, which I have absolutely no memory of at all. But what I do remember, though, is I got back home from Fulham that night and I was told by either my mum or my sister that they had been flicking through the channels earlier and there was wrestling on Sky Movies. And I was like, in spite of only being eight years old, I was like, that, that must, it must be SummerSlam. There's no other explanation other than the event that was on last night in America must be on Sky Movies. So in spite of being only eight years old, I commandeered the remote control. And this must have been about probably like 10, 15, 10, 10.30-ish. Um, and there it was, Hulk Hogan versus Earthquake was just about to start. Um, so this has been the school summer holidays. I was allowed to stay up for, for that and then the WF title match. And thus, this was the first portion of the WF pay-per-view that I ever saw as it aired in the UK. Um, and the Eurosport airing occurred a few weeks later, and I actually would literally wear that VHS tape out in the months to come uh, because I just watched it so many times it ended up breaking. And actually, this event didn't come out on VHS until late 1992. So it was probably an 18-month period where I had no, you had no access to this because the way that the Silver Vision used to do the tapes 
is that they have massive, they would release one and then have a big delay, release another one. It would be like, there'd be no rhyme or reason to it. Um, so anyway, I digress. Back to the start of the event and we get a classic Vince McMahon voiceover. Sorry, just before we progress, does, that, ahead, mean, yeah, does that mean that's the birth, that was the birth of the Surrey Superstar? No, the Surrey Superstar was my wrestling character. I used to play pretend <laughs> wrestling with a Puss in Boots teddy bear. Uh, and I had a stable of characters. So there was my, I played myself and also Surrey Superstar. And also Texas Tornado was part of the stable oh. as well. So he was in this uh, a very prominent role. You can kind of see where the, the origins of that stable were from this event, really, because he was briefly yes. one of my favourites back then. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we get the Vincent Mann classic voiceover putting over the double main event and saying the word SummerSlam as enthusiastically as anyone has ever said anything in the history of mankind. Uh, so Vincent Mann and Roddy Piper on commentary um, with Jesse Ventura having left the company earlier that month. Um, the crowd is hot from the very get-go here, and we start with the Rockers, with Shawn Michaels notably limping down the aisle versus power and glory. Michaels had a significant knee injury heading into this match, and to cover for it, he was attacked by Hercules on the outside prior to the contest starting. And this left Marty to basically work the whole match himself. And um, Piper says hilariously on commentary that while um, power and glory are hungry, it looks like the Rockers have been dating too many girls. Um, did you catch that one? And Piper yeah. was on fire throughout the whole, pretty much the whole, the whole night, yeah, uh, that, wasn't it? Was, yeah, I mean, I was going to say when... I mentioned on my when we done I done my WrestleMania review that Roddy Piper was when I got to the end I was like what is I don't you know, based on purely on WrestleMania mm. I don't get it I don't yep. get why people like this guy he's irritating he's a gimmick he's annoying so when I saw that he was on commentary I was like oh oh here we go I got to the end of that show and I was like keep this guy on commentary yeah. it's a bit like when Jericho does it for AEW it's just funny but do you know what this is it, he was brilliant. I, yeah, I actually, in my notes, um, I actually started a column next to each match that just had uh, Rowdy Roddy. And then I just, I just put just different quotes from each match. That I just, <laughs> That's brilliant. Just well, me. J- jump in if I miss any, because I, I, yeah. I, there was so many. I certainly had like, that one. I can't, I just can't make notes of all of the, because there's so, as we talked about off air, there's so much talking on this show. I can't believe how much talking actually there was. And we'll get onto that as we go forward. So basically, Janetti trapped Roman in a small package, but slick uh, pound glories. I've written P&Gs on my notes for sure, and I'm going to try and name them in full. Um, So pound glories managed to distract the ref. Michaels tries to make it back in, uh, but Roman takes him out again. Hercules and Janetti slightly botch an attempt at a rolling pin from a power slam and end up near the ropes. Uh, Power and Gloria solidly on top here um, as Piper speculates as to what he can do, even if his tag team partner gets in there. Um, So Janetti goes up to the top for a flying punch, but Hercules breaks up the pin. Janetti goes for a roll up in the ropes, but gets his head taken off by Hercules and then gets a huge press up in the air and drops down on his gut. Hercules then drops Janetti over the top rope um, and then they hit their excellent superplex and big splash combo for the win in 601. Um, Roma actually pinched Janetti with his with just his foot on him and this actually gets a few cheers but mostly boos from the crowd. They get Michaels in after the bell and work him over again as Janetti tries to protect Michael's leg. I thought they did a great job with this in the circumstances. And even though he lost, this was quite the showcase for Janetti. And I thought Hercules and Roma looked really good as well. What do you think of this opening contest of SummerSlam 90? Yeah, so a few observations. Uh, you said the crowd were pumped. Yeah. Um, they were. They were absolutely buzzing. That, that continues throughout. One thing I did notice is obviously noticed Hulkamania going through the crowd. But also noticed a number, a lot of Bart Simpson 
Oh yeah, stuff. I think Simpsons were massive. Then, I right? mean, yeah. I was just like, yeah, it's just like it's just Bart Simpson on everything, doing different things, signs and everything. Um, so yeah, obviously I noticed Shawn Michaels limping down, and you sort of you'd mentioned to me that he was in a bad way anyway. So they done well actually on the with the chain to sort of eliminate him from even competing. Um, yes. Fair play to him for even going down to be honest. Um, I guess another observations would be uh, there's the there's the continual thing in I've noticed in mid south and in the earlier WWF things where the 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 push of the emphasis around if the tag partner comes in and joins in that they should be disqualified yeah that you just don't get now like right. they just go on about it all the time he's only got five seconds get out shouldn't be in there oh ref you should it's oh, like it was obviously such a big thing like yeah, yeah. Um, and there's the spot that you don't you used to get a lot and it makes me makes me chuckle where um you get the baby face uh who's tagged in but the referee didn't see the tag and then he's the, the ref forces the baby face back out again and yeah. that's such an old school like I yeah. they use that everywhere but I, I'm not sure they they didn't use that in this match because obviously Michaels wasn't in there but yeah I know what you mean like some old school storytelling stuff in this one definitely yeah so that uh, the other thing going back was <laughs> very strangely but Hercules being in it I don't know if you think the same but part of me was like oh there he is yeah, I think the same. every time I see <laughs> every time I see Demolition Smashed I'm like, oh, it's one of our boys mid south. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was there going, go on, yeah, go on, there he is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He looked also, at, he didn't look as good as he did when we were watching him from six years before that. But I think he's. Uh, I think they. I thought Power and Glory looked bloody good in this. Actually, to be fair, really, Roman that's and, what I was going to say. Yeah, he, he wasn't in it as a joke. He was in yeah. it, and he was he looked good. Um, and one thing um, that I did notice that I haven't actually seen before was that um, Jeanette, he was pinning one of them and I think he was pinning Hercules. I don't sure wait around. And they and he tagged his hand. So he tagged him out. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah. I didn't spot that. That's really good. So, so he, did it, he, did it in, yeah. he didn't interrupt the pin. Yeah. He was being pinned and on two count, he tagged his hand. So it was like, oh, oh. it's been a tag. So the pin's null and void. Yeah, that's really thought, good. That's really clever, that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, as a, as an opening match, I thought it was really good. Uh, my rowdy ism of this one, other than dating a few minutes, two young ladies, or whatever, was that Hercules has the jawbone of an ass. <laughs> uh, now I think I say ass. I think it's ass, obviously. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah. But I'm not even sure what that really means. Obviously, no, I guess no. they've got a big. I don't know. Obviously, donkeys are famous for having the big jawbone, right? So maybe it's that. But perhaps that was the one most I... attractive jawlines, perhaps. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but do you know what? For an opening match, really good. I really enjoyed it. I thought, and I think you nailed it with what you said about the crowd. Like, it's it's tough for us at the moment. We watch AEW every single week, uh, and we dip in and out of WWE stuff. And obviously, you've got you've got the Daily's Play stuff for AEW, and you've got the Thunderdome now in WWE, and also obviously their performance stuff. But even if you go back 18 months, you're just not getting crowds like this. This crowd was pumped. Everyone was over pretty much in this card. And, and we'll talk about some of the, some of the bigger reactions, but there were pinfalls in this. When you look at the crowd as the pin and it's like England have just scored a goal to win the yes. semi-final of the world cup. And the crowd is just erupting in the background. Um, so we cut backstage to Sean Mooney, who's along with Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect. And they recap that it was only 10 days ago that Perfect accepted the challenge from Kerry Von Erich. And this was following the very real parasailing accident that Bruce Beefcake suffered um, 
which, you know, was really significant injury and was out for a number of years thereafter. Um, Bobby Heenan says he knows a lot about this Texas tornado. He says he has his head in the clouds and adds that a Texas tornado doesn't really do any damage because you can spot them a mile away. All they're good for is kicking up some dust and turning over some mobile homes at the trailer park. Perfect is then out to his great music as as uh, Vince asked Piper if anyone is really perfect. And he says that he's as he's from Minneapolis, he must have the perfect sunbed, suggesting that ta- that tan isn't natural. So, Dan, here's a question for you. Any experiences oh. with the old fake tan over the years? Fake tan? No. Oh, really? Oh, not, for a little, not, not a little, little bit of bronzer for a night out in Sutton back in the day, though. Mm, sunbed? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love a sunbed, but you don't really get instant results, do you? But fake tan, I don't know. I don't think so, you know. I don't no. think I... I've just got a naturally olive complexion. Yeah, I so, you're, yeah you're not the... I'm, whereas I'm quite pasty compared with you, really, aren't I? So, so are you so now going to tell me about a time where you are? Well, I've I've dabbled with t- uh, my own fake tan. Like, like you're, you're doing fake tan yourself, but I've had a spray tan twice, actually, for... Wow. Uh, yeah, for my... Uh, yeah, for my stag do, my bay, I had a spray tan because basically the, the good thing about having a spray tan for like a weekend away like that rather than like a two-week holiday is you just put like factor 30 on and you don't burn. Whereas when I went to Ibiza a couple of years before that, I burnt all my arms and like all my all my arms were peeled because I burned quite badly. So I thought I'm just going to do this. I don't have to worry about tanning and that's it. And I did it again for Ibiza a couple of years after that. So yeah, I would recommend it. It's a bit of a humiliating experience to be honest, but... Um, I mean, I can imagine. Go, yeah. yeah. I mean, I... I <laughs> yeah I, I mean I'm just picturing now because I've seen some of the photos when you're at your sort of when you're at your Wrestlemania's your early Wrestlemania's yeah and I'm sure you're going to blame the disposable flash but some of them you look like the pastiest person I've ever no. seen to the point where I would have said to you at the time go to the doctor so there was a guy there's a guy and it's like yeah there was a guy I used to work with uh, and I hadn't seen him probably for three or four years and he was watching the Raw after WrestleMania 19, where my mate Lewis and I, I think we were second row, but we were right opposite the camera, so we were on it the whole night. And he texts me saying, I've just seen you in the crowd at the Raw after WrestleMania. You're the, you're the palest bloke in the whole <laughs> arena. So I think, you, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm not, I haven't got the best of colour. I burn very easily, and it's just, yeah, it's not a good look. So yeah, fake tan. Uh, but going back, what did you think of the Bobby Heenan, uh, the Bobby Heenan promo here with Mr. Perfect? So he is, he obviously, this isn't his first promo that I, he is a natural at this. Yes. Um, I love the thing about tornadoes. You've seen one, you've seen them all, you've seen, yeah. you've seen them a mile away, linking it into the, the opponent. Um, I think it's, I think, I, you know, they'd had a few days to prepare. I prepare, I don't mean prepare for the ring, in the ring. I mean, prepare for stuff like this, promos. Yeah. But to be honest, these guys, I think could have, 20 minutes I'm going to come out with some real quality oh, yeah. stuff was a it's just genius. a different level to and I know we'll come on to this because just by default on this on this show but they're just the, the, the level of promos okay sometimes you might be like it seems a bit silly or a bit childish it's just brilliant it's either amusing it make, it's realistic it gets you into it um, but yeah he, he was he was really good on this yeah absolutely one of, one of the best performers of all time he absolutely incredible and he he, he actually uh, not he was already doing some commentary but for most of the kind of early 90s after this when he moved away from the manager role and that was basically because he 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 didn't want to take the bumps anymore and he, and he was an incredible bumper um but he was he was phenomenal with Grilla Monsoon on commentary as well um 
so after uh, Piper also adds that perfect has the perfect girlfriend with lovely hair all over all over her body as well. Which I just botched that line that Piper delivered much better than me. <laughs> um, we cut backstage again this time to Gene Oakland with Kerry Von Eric, and you'll note that the trunks he's wearing in this pre-tape are not the same as he comes out with. I remember thinking that many many years ago. Um, he says that there are, torn- or t- there are tornado warnings everywhere. He adds he must not know much about the Texas tornadoes because they are powerful and devastating. And when the match is over, he'll be heading back up into the clouds of the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, what did you think of this, uh, this babyface promo from Kerry Von Eric here? So for me, I took a big interest in this because I've heard of the Von Eric name. Yeah. Um, I understand who they are and I know a bit about my wrestling history. Never really seen, seen them. So I watched the dark side of the ring. Okay, yeah. Yeah, with them, which is obviously pretty, pretty grim. Yes, uh, given yeah. there's only one Von Eric left for different reasons. Um, but it was very interesting to see him on this, having seen that. Yeah. So, for example, on Dark Side of the Ring, they mention that he joins WWF, should be a star, but they decide rather than, even though in this in this match actually they they use his full name yes. the whole time. Yeah. They, this thing's uh, the program sort of suggested why did they change it to Texas Tornado? It sort of made him a gimmick. He didn't need that. Um, they actually said on Dark Side of the Ring that they banned his finishing moves, which obviously we'll get to that he, I think he used in this. Yeah. Uh, he's claw, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But I just found it very interesting that obviously, yeah, he was the Texas Tornado. He's got nothing on him really to show he's a tornado, if you know what I mean. He yeah. is who he is. He's clearly well known. I'd imagine this was huge at the time. Yeah. Um, for, the, for the independent circuit to have someone like him arrive on the scene. And then obviously the last bit being is on Dark Salaring. They cover the fact that he's only got one foot. Yes. yes. And I'll be honest, I watched the match. I I'm just gonna be honest, I literally just couldn't stop looking at how he moved around the ring. I, and I'll I tell you now, notes, yeah. I could not tell that that man yeah. only had one foot. That what an unbelievable absolutely athlete. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And that just goes to show even more how good he must have been. Yes. And yet they obviously didn't use him well enough. And it actually well, yeah. well I don't know, because when you watch Dark Side of the Ring, you get it, you get story generally from one angle. Yes, yeah. And I weren't sure and, and I know that when I'm watching it. And I weren't sure but having watched this my first sort of real given this was when they said that he wasn't used very well I watched impressed with how he come across with his interviews impressed with him in the ring then obviously it stunned us to this whole wow guy's only got one foot I mean yeah. he looks like an absolute Adonis doesn't he I mean oh absolutely guys, yeah. I mean, makes it look I don't know enough about how they eventually used him but it certainly made me go why did do you know what it made me think why did I not know more about this man yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah, this is 1990. I was probably watching properly from say 92, 93, 94. Started getting into it. Why did I not really know too much about him? And certainly, like, why did I not know about him 10 years ago? Well, obviously, I know I didn't know about him 10 years later, but that may never have happened. He may never have done what he'd done, what he'd done to himself if, if his career had kicked on like so, that. So it's yeah, just really interesting. Yeah. I know I was a bit morbid, but it's just because it's fresh in my mind. No, you're, you're you're absolutely right. I I think the thing with Kerry is that I didn't I don't have quite the same view on the Texas Tornado thing. I I think it was Texas Tornado Kerry Von Eric, and I think that's okay. I think the nicknames a bit like um, 
but it's not quite the same thing as Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Stone Cold is the nickname, but his name's Steve Austin. Everyone knows Steve Austin. They did refer to him as Kerry Von Eric in this. But I, I think what I think Kerry had been a mess for a long time at this point. Um, I mean, there's a famous match where he um, he went up against Jerry Lawler, and he's just out of it in the ring. And I think he's he's tried to put a blade somewhere in about his person to cut himself later on. And he ends up cutting his, his like his stomach or his side of his chest like before the match. He goes out there bleeding and he's just in an awful state. And I, and I think actually probably what was more, um, more of a big thing for him was the fact that I, I think his personal problems were, were probably fairly overwhelming. I mean, he was around in the WF for a while, but yeah. this, I mean, he was pushed hard to start off with. I mean, Mr. Perfect was a big star. Um, and he, and he obviously got the, got the spoiler alert, got the text on it, got the win here. Um, he was in the team with the ultimate warrior at the, at the survivor series pay-per-view later that year. Though They did take the intercontinental title off of him. And then after that, he was sort of floated around a bit. He had a few more pay-per-views on the WrestleMania card and a nothing match with Dino Bravo the following year. But I, I get the feeling that, um, he probably, if if this had been Kerry from 83, 84, 85, and he had had his, for want of a better question, shit together a bit more, I think he could have been a much bigger star. But, but sorry, much bigger star in the WBF. But let's, it's, it's probably difficult to um, really explain how much of a star he was in Texas. And, and, and yeah. that, that TV was all over the place. I mean, he was a star <laughs> everywhere. Um, and he was he was a huge huge star like rock star stuff like we talked about rock and roll express and stuff previously but yeah. unfortunately I think his demons caught up caught up to him really um, and that yeah that very the whole thing is is just a horrendous you know horrendous story and as you can see from this match I mean the reaction that he got when he came out oh. was 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 huge absolutely huge yeah. So Kerry had actually appeared on a WF show back in March 1980 at the age of 20. Um, and it was, te- it was well, 10 and a bit years um, before he made his return in July 1990 on WF Superstars. Um, so this was a really high-profile position for someone relatively new to the company, um, albeit, as we talked about, a well-known star all over the company. Um, and as you mentioned, I put my notes, it's crazy every time I look back at stuff from later in his career, I think he was working with the missing foot, which is just, it's just nuts, really, just, just insane. Um, Kerry is out in a lovely looking green and silver robe. And as the bell goes, the crowd chants, weasel, weasel. Piper speculates that as Heenan has so many wrestlers under his control, he has no love for anyone. It's all about money. And that's why he's thrown his man into this match with such a short amount of time to prepare. I thought that was a really nice touch from the commentators in terms of, uh, you know, putting over that point that perfect, you know, probably underestimated his opponent here. Um, yeah. Perfect, the bump machine was on show earlier as Von Eric threw him back towards the turnbuckles. Soon after, Perfect took a huge spill to the outside, courtesy of a Von Eric clothesline. Heenan on the outside tells Perfect that he got lucky as Piper says that Mr. Perfect better start thinking here. Perfect hit a stiff-looking clothesline to the side of Kerry's head and took control and hit a great-looking snapmare followed by a sleeper. Kerry made his way to the corner and Perfect fired in punches and tells him who's in there with. More punches until Kerry walks out of the corner and no-sells he flips him into the corner to a huge reaction from the Philadelphia crowd. Then there's the Von Eric claw and then the discus punch for the winning 5-12 and the crowd went absolutely ballistic for this finish. I absolutely love this match. I loved it when I first saw it 30 years ago. Uh, what did you think of this? Yeah, it was, it was, it was you know, I've got here proper wrestling. Hmm. So it's proper wrestling. You know, you had your holds, your arm bars, your slams. But the difference is, is that when I watch 
matches now and there's the holds and the arm bars and stuff. I look at it like that, like, oh, it's boring. Yeah. Because they do it, they you they don't they do it like it's all about the high flying or the big moves. When done properly, like these guys, it's exciting. It's good. And it's yes. real and it looks it makes it look so real. It makes it look like that's an actual fight with us two men, two athletes fighting. You know, they're they're doing moves that they're not flipping or they're not, you know, they're they're actually they're actually wrestling each other. Yeah, um, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, the, the claw, the claw finisher. I was a bit like, I'm not really sure how much that would hurt, but I guess if you got a hand that size, guess guess it probably would. Um, but it was it was good. I I also really liked the fact that that was a legit. He was a legitimate um, replacement. Yes, right. So as in, so as in, sometimes you'll say, oh, this person's replaced someone, and you can tell they were always going to replace them. It was in the storyline, right? And, and, or you get the ones where, you know, oh, okay, they've replaced them because someone's pulled out at the last minute. They're never taking a belt off them. You know, yes. if someone steps yeah. in at the last minute, they ain't winning the title. And that's why you're watching going, well, that's not going to happen, is it? You know, you know, I think we discussed the other week um, um, on AEW um, when you had, I think you had MJ, MJF talking about his fight with Moxley uh, all out or whatever it may be. And then at the end of the show, they say, oh, Darby Allen's got yeah. a title shot next week. Well, yeah. he's not going to win, is he? Because we've no. just done a whole piece on that. Yeah. So when you get these, oh, someone stepped in for someone, you're like, well, don't bother putting a belt on. Like, so when it was on, I never expected to see that. And I suspect the crowd were probably similar to that. Hey, on, this guy stepped in. He's not going to win the belt. And that might probably added to it. And fair play. Like, it was brilliant. Um, great reaction. I... Just, just, just as a side, and uh, I'm not throwing accusations around, but we're talking about people with their demons. But when I was doing some sort of bit of research, one of the sort of uh, reviews I read about this this event was suggesting that maybe Mister Perfect may have had a couple of beers beforehand. Oh, and, really? he, and, he, and apparparently he was quite known for this. Oh, part. I mean, he, yeah, he, he. I mean, a lot of the guys around this time were you know, heavy into everything that was... I mean, yeah. you can only imagine... I, know, I haven't had time to re-watch yeah. it to be like, is he drunk or not? But yeah. I, I don't know. Much, I, thought, so I doubt it. Yeah, yeah I, I never, I've never heard anything about him being unprofessional. But you you, you imagine for a second, you're oh. you're making a lot of... Incredible money in the I'm 80s. Not making any, mate, I'm not making any money and I'm... And I'm uh, well, the thing is... I was. <laughs> you think what these guys were, were up to. They were flying all over the country. I, I remember, I, I'm not sure it was quite so bad back then, but they've talked uh, in ni- as late as 1990. But I've heard lots of stuff about the mid-80s WF schedule where it'd be like, we were in Los Angeles on the Thursday and we were in Philadelphia on the Friday and we were in San Diego. On the, and it was like, it made no sense. It was like someone was throwing a dart at the, at the map and wherever <laughs> they were going. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys were bang on it. They, their house show matches would be seven or eight minutes um, and they'd be in, it'd be in entrances in, out, to the bar, no mobile phones, no cameras. We're getting on it. It is what it is. You know, something to get you down at the end of the night. Something to get you back up in the morning. And that is what the life was to these guys. And yeah. I know, I know. On that actually, and, and this is, I've been watching the um, the Bret Hart stuff, a lot of Bret Hart stuff over the last few days um, to try and watch all of his pay per view matches and, uh, and other select stuff. But something I've really noticed is that these matches aren't very long, but they they serve a purpose. Like this didn't need to be. This was a quick sharp victory this was on pay-per-view now this will be 15 20 minutes it doesn't need to be that. Oh, yeah. i think wrestling is obsessed absolutely obsessed with long matches now long doesn't mean better if everything is tw- new japan and i love new japan but new japan's the worst it's every okada match has got to be 25 35 minutes so like with every match is like that 
forget the first 15 minutes. You know it's not going to be a victory. You need to mix yes. it up. Like boxing, if there's a knock, like the other night, there was a knockout in like the fifth round. If every boxing match was twer- like an exciting 12 rounds, what's the point of watching the early stuff? Yeah. That's what I like about these matches. You, it doesn't need to be hugely, hugely long. Yeah. Um, so Vince on commentary says, oh yeah, rejoice as Kerry celebrates in the room, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, as Perfect made his way back down the aisle. Um, Kerry would only hold on to the title until late November. Um, as we talked about, Sally, it wasn't too long before his personal problems with really ugly head and slowly but surely he became less featured. Um, Gene Oakland is backstage saying that he wants to speak to Sapphire, but he couldn't find her and in stormed Heenan and Perfect complaining about Kerry breaking the rules. Perfect says he'll be back and will reclaim what rightfully belongs to the family. Oakland says they are both out of control as Heenan says the referee couldn't count. Back in the arena, it's pomp and circumstance, um, which Vince actually name checks, which I can't recall them doing before. Um, And in the ring, we have sensational Queen Cherry for her match against Sweet Sapphire, who had become Dusty Rhodes' valet. Um, And for whatever people say about Rhodes' WF run, I actually really, really loved his theme tune. What did you think of uh, Dusty Rhodes' theme here i have got in my notes that i've been singing that all day oh really yeah it's really good isn't it yeah it's really good i have been you know what the only the only um gap in that lee is that um when macho man theme comes on mm. i cannot not say we all follow the fulham Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Chelsea, yeah. <laughs> oh, see, see, so you're an Anchelsea, see, I'm an Anchelsea, but you know, I think my dad says I'm Brentford. Oh, I'm well, think it's an age thing. Yeah, I think I remember when I when I was really young going to Fulham away. Oh, you Brentford. get you you get some Brentford, wouldn't you? Back before yeah. we were up, and then it sort of switched yeah. to Chelsea, didn't it? Back in yeah. the, back back when we weren't in the big time like we are now. Just in case anyone didn't. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. That. Unfortunately <laughs> for us, our first go- our first games up too long. I, I saw that I, I saw they were back in training. I was like, oh, I just want a bit of a break. To do yeah, I, really, I just want to enjoy it. Yeah, just let me enjoy it. Like, can, can we not start in January, please? And then we can just like, <laughs> yeah. live off that for weeks. I'm still recovering from the. The 1 a.m. bottle of Prosecco you made. Oh, me no, have, so. yeah. If it bubbles I mean, on the way in, <laughs> it's going to bubble on the way out, that's for sure. Uh, so um, they announced Sapphire a few times, but she did not <laughs> appear. And ultimately, Sherry was awarded the match by forfeit after they gave Sapphire 30 seconds to get down there. Um, anything to add on this this short sort of forfeit? Here? No, not, not really. I mean, it, you know, it shows a sign of the times both uh, females come into their males' music, they yep. got their own, um, which wouldn't happen now. No, nope. good, which is good. Um, oh, I did like the fact that they played Sapphire's music twice. They paused, played it a third time, and again, my experience, a third time, they're coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when she didn't yeah. come in again, again, it's another little thing. I was like, huh, I actually didn't expect that, which is strange because it's not like us. Like, I viewed that as a noise, and that's a bit different. That's a bit different. That's the original. That's what it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't ever recall. I was thinking this when I was watching this. I'm I'm fairly certain there's not been a forfeit on WF pay-per-view ever, apart from this. I could be wrong about that. Uh, uh, Yeah, I don't think there has been. I can't can't think of one. Um, But yeah, this was interesting. This is certainly the first. Um, So backstage, we cut to Gene Oakland and Dusty Rose, and Dusty has no idea where Sapphire is. He said that 10 minutes after they got there, she went missing. He searched everywhere in every nook and cranny and he's worried big time. Jim Duggan comes into shot and Rhodes asks if he's seen her. And he says, with all the acting skills of a really terrible drama student, no, but we're all still looking for her, Dusty. 
absolutely terrible. This was this the worst thing you've ever seen in the history of pro wrestling. I, do you know what? I, I was very tempted when you were talking there, just to interject and go, "Have you found her?" <laughs> <laughs> he just literally walked in, and then he just and he just walked off. Yeah, <laughs> I. I was in bits. I, you know what you say words. I, I'm putting up there one of the best. I could not stop laughing. That I was like, what's, what's the point of that? It was so bad. And the thing is, they can, they, like, I know they probably didn't want to waste time on doing this again. But surely someone looked at it and just thought that's Duggan was awful. It's like he couldn't, it couldn't have been worse. But there we go. And um, so Rhodes runs through all the presents that Sapphire's received from a mystery. I've written advisor, but that's not. Admirer is the word I want. It wasn't a mystery advisor. And Oakland reminds us that Sapphire said she was going to receive the biggest gift of all at SummerSlam. So back in the arena with Howard Finkel, we have the warlord and his opponent slash victim, Tito Santana. Um, The warlord, who clearly had been consuming some of the famous WWF late 80s and early 90s protein shakes, in inverted commas, Hurls Santana to the mat and throws up a big double bicep pose. Here are my biceps full of protein. Uh, so three nice drop kicks from Tito as Piper implores him to cover, but the Warlord escapes the outside. Vince says that Tito is trying to wear down the Warlord's guns, and they are big guns, and he's big all over. Piper says the one thing they say about big fellas is the harder they fall, but they don't fall so often. Um, Santana is rammed into the ring post as Piper does an impression of Slick that she probably shouldn't have made air in 1990 and probably would have had someone permanently removed from television if they did it in 2020. Um, the pace is slowed down in this, and the, this is a bit of a dip in quality from the first two matches. Tito fights back with a clothesline out of the corner, but Warlord kicks out. Santana then hits his patented flying forearm, which looks great, which looks great. Uh, but the bo- the, the ball lord. <laughs> Yeah. The Very Warlord. I, that was it. I haven't got that written down. That was a slip of the tongue. But it the Warlord. Yeah, it does work. But the Warlord just gets his leg on the ropes to break up the three. Tito tries a monkey flip, but the Warlord just shunts him off. <laughs> he then gets Tito on a running power slam for the win in 528. This is the weakest match on the card so far for me. What did you think? Yeah, definitely. Warlord, stereotype wrestler, mm. just with no character. Like, yeah. it reminded me of like Albert. Yeah, that's not a bad shout. Albert was better in the end, but that's not a bad shout at all. Just yeah, like... Just standard. He's big, whatever, throw him in there kind of thing, yeah. Um, you've covered the uh, uh, the Jamaican impression. Yes, yeah. Just to clarify, when Slick spoke to the camera, I thought he just had a perfectly... Yeah, he did. Regular he absolutely, American yeah, accent. Yeah, absolutely. Hasn't even got a Jamaican accent. No. Hasn't no. even got one. No. Um, so that was uh, quite amusing. Yeah. Uh, he was also mentioning something. I think it was to Tito about Taco. Oh, he's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, there's loads. Of, there's loads of like yes, it's, it's a lot of Spanish lot, stuff lot, in this. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff. Um, he got yeah, it like so, yeah, yeah, Taco Bell so, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. so that, but it ended with I think it was Piper just saying Wham Bam Summer Slam. <laughs> and I like that. And I like that a lot. He, he redeemed himself somewhat for yeah. some of his comments for that. Um, so after the match, uh, we get a promo for the Survivor Series in November. November 22nd, to be precise, uh, which was two days before my ninth birthday. Can't remember what I did that year. I don't think... Oh, do you know what? I do exactly remember what I did that year. I had two friends over, Elias, Cooney, friends. and... Chris Harvey, all my friends. Yeah. Uh, I was gutted because one of them couldn't come over all that early after school. So we ran out of light to play football in the garden. 
Um, and I th- I'm pretty sure Survivor Series aired that night, actually, which I, I'm guessing it was a Friday, because I think that... It's... It would be a Saturday. Saturday, okay. Yeah, of course it would. They must come over on the, on the Friday, actually, thinking about after school. So, yeah, I've I've a uh, bad memory from 30 years the, ago. The, the, re- the reasons I say that is actually my my question here. What question is observation? So he says it's a Thanksgiving night tradition. Yes. Which I assume it's not anymore. No. And also I say that is in, he went and competed with the NFL. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, 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 so I don't know. Yeah. I know, I know it's must be. NFL, Thanksgiving and NFL, that is one of the biggest traditions going. Uh, as an NFL fan myself and uh, a Dallas Cowboys fan who have played, I think, every Thanksgiving bowl one. Um, there's always the Cowboys and the Lions will play, not each other. I think there's three games. And for my sort of English friends that have gone to live in the States, they, one of the things they love about Thanksgiving, other than the, 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 the everyone together and stuff, is the fact that people watch the NFL. Mm. And I mean, you know, one of my, my very, very good pals, Chris, who, who you know, met um, to the playoffs, he, um, he's just like, they'll have their, their meal. I mean, they're in, they're in Texas. And then men and women will gather around and watch the NFL. Yeah. So it back, so I found it, I really had to, went on the internet and was very surprised to see that he put a pay per view on Thanksgiving. But then it made me think, well, hang on a minute. Knowing Vince as you do, a couple of things. Number one, not not afraid to challenge the status quo. Number two, set up the XFL. Yeah. Um, which although it didn't work out, and that's not really his fault, actually. But what I'm saying is I don't know whether he has much love for the NFL anyway. But I just thought it was really, I just found that. And maybe some listeners, American listeners can sort of, I'd be really interested to know what that was like, whether that was a direct challenge or whether, I don't know, whether they didn't, I, I don't see how they wouldn't have clashed. So, so would, that, would, that thanks, would, that thanks, would the Thanksgiving NFL now be sort of multiple games from sort of the afternoon games, through to the yeah. evening? Yeah, yeah. So I, so so I, I tend to, so not like I, t- I, t- I tend to take the next day off work. So I watch all three games and then tend to take the Friday off. So um, I, I wonder I whether... I wonder whether in the late 80s, whether they would have had so many games, but I perhaps they would have done. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, yeah. It'd be just be really interested to uh, find out, you know, yeah, if anyone can shed some light on, on how that worked. I'd, I'm just, you know, what, I'm just going to quickly have a look just because I could answer my own question, actually. So, so they uh, did it on Thanksgiving Day in 87 to 1990, so first four events, and it was Thanksgiving Eve from 91 to 94. So that's, you know, that's quite a long time. And I think Thanksgiving Eve is a big party night in the States, isn't it, where everyone goes out because they've got the next day off. So again, that's not yeah. so bad when you're aiming yeah. your show at kids, but for yeah. a more adult audience. But then 95, since there, it's always been Sundays. There certainly was football on that day. Yeah. yeah. So I can just already see here Denver Broncos at Detroit, for example. Um, so definitely, yeah. So so uh, Dallas, were at, uh, Washington were at Dallas. Um, 27-17 win. So, so I, want, I wonder whether he thought that... Um, there was just enough to go. I mean, the, the Survivor Series for me was always quite an odd event because until um, until 91, 
you didn't get any singles matches at Survivor Series. You all you got is so basically your your well my my viewing of wrestling <clears throat> back then was two two one hours a week. Yeah, WF Superstar, and yeah, prime time as well actually. Uh, but primarily, which is more of a highlight show, the occasional first run match. But yeah, WF Superstars for an hour, which was squash matches, and you occasionally got uh, two names and wrestling challenge, same thing. And the only thing that was that was interesting somewhat about the Survivor Series was that you got names against each other, but it was elimination matches. It was like, there's no title matches. And yeah. I always thought it was a bit of a damp squib. Yeah, um, I wasn't a fan. Yeah, and, and I, like, so it's, it's, it's almost odd that they would put that they, compete, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the idea that, you know, we'll do 350,000, 400,000 buys even with the NFL on and we won't give any ma- big matches away when we've got that audience. But mm. yeah, it's always, I always found that, I've always found the survivors as a concept a little bit strange. Um, so uh, backstage, we have Sean Mooney and he recaps the introduction of the third member of the demolition team, which ultimately had them turning heel on the Heart Foundation on the Brother Love show that summer. Um, at this point, Axe was having some health problems, and that is ultimately why Crush joined the team. Um, the whole crux, the whole crux of this promo was to cause confusion to the Hearts as to who would be in the title match, with only two of them allowed at ringside. Um, they talk about the possible next challenges in the form of the Legion of Doom, and they call them second-rate imposters, which is funny because De- Demolition were always accused of being road warriors, imposters, basically. And um, what did you think of the promo here? And also, Demolition's absolutely incredible music. Yeah, love the music. Uh, they used we're gonna butt kick, kick their teeth down their throat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also like the fact that this is where there's three of them, and all of a sudden they just start going, "Oh, yeah, there's three of us. We're only allowed two at the ring, but there's three of us. Which two? And I'm like, "Why? Why are you going on about which two? Oh, hang on a minute. They are really ramping this home that there's which two. Yes. Um, yeah. And obviously, we'll come on to why they were ramping that. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so, no, yeah, absolutely. So backstage, we then get an interview with the Hearts. Um, as Brett said, that he thought it was always going to be the two original members of Demolition. Um, that One of them actually um, slips up here and says it's, they're going to go up against Axe and Crush, but was that wrong? It's actually going to be Smash and Crush, spoiler alert. Um, the Anvil says he just didn't care who it was. And then Brett comes out with one of my all-time favourite promo lines when he says... Just like Phil Collins says, what we have here are two hearts beating as one. I loved this. I absolutely love this. I think this is this is around the time that this is really the first time I'm seeing Bret Hart, other than maybe a few superstars appearances. And I, I'm not ashamed to say I was pretty much full on in love with this guy for most of my life and still am now. Um, what did you think of this promo of the hearts here? Yeah, so I've got. I mean, I've got that, two hearts. I mean, that's just great, isn't it? Yeah. Also, just a little fact for you that I found out. First time they'd worn them jackets. Oh, really? How interesting, which became very famous to them. Yeah, yeah. That's the first time they wore them jackets. Um, And, yeah, I mean, to be honest, right, every – we've seen – I don't know how many promos so far. I mean, we're only only touching the surface on the amount we do that we're seeing. But – Bret Hart is just an absolute natural. Yes. Like, like Bobby the Brain Heenan is good at what he does as a manager. But Bret Hart, he's not over the top. He's not like, you know, the others go like, oh, I'm going to really, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. He's just calm, cool. I mean, he's just a, he's just a cool dude, isn't he? I mean, he's he just Yeah, great. he absolutely is. 
He absolutely is. He, I, I, I think that Brett is like, I don't know. It's, it's difficult because I, I have always really, really admired him. And you hear a lot of stuff about, so like, talk about him and Shawn Michaels and the business went down a bit when Brett was champion, but it's like, well, it would have gone down with anyone as champion after, after Hulk Hogan was no more. Cause that's just the way things go. People aren't necessarily going to be, you know, as big a stars as one of the two or three, two or three biggest stars of all time. And I, I just think the more I watch of old Brett Hart stuff, the more I think no one ever made me believe like he did. And I just think in terms of, in terms of North American wrestlers, all-rounders I think he might just be the best ever and that's that's a big statement right there but and I, I think that, that's a whole yeah. podcast in that that's that's, yeah. that's probably a podcast where you get every guest on uh, yeah. before we go into that debate but I think but I do agree with you completely in regards to how he makes it real yes and you know having read his book which I'm sure and pretty much 80% maybe more of the people that listen to this would have because it's, it's an archive of you can tell that was his aim as well. Yes. He's so focused and on making you believe it was real and not doing something that you would think is like, I wouldn't do that. that yeah. You know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't do that. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah, that exactly. would look pretty silly. And, and also, like, I just like when you just see him sort of like smirk, like I like just like he's laughing, laughing himself. Business, yeah. It's incredible. Um, you know, I, th- I do think when he like, even on this one, he smirks at, uh, the anvil because I think sometimes he's a bit like what is he going on about yeah but I quite like it it works you know and and also them the family right so it works as well so I tell you what's so good to watch if you if you get a chance and want to and I did this I wasn't really su- watching a lot of Raw in 97 um I would dip and dip out but then by the summer I was I was back and I was hooked but if you if you go from from WrestleMania 13 probably through to like Survivor Series and just just watch the bits on Raw with Bret Hart and Steve Austin, anything with Bret Hart, anything with Steve Austin for that period. And you see the Bret Hart as a heel and the facial expressions. And he's just, he's just like, and then he, and then I remember there was a night in Madison Square Garden. He'd, he'd gone really, really hard on the whole anti-America thing in that, during that time. And he was in Madison Square Garden. He said, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And even after all that, the most, you know, most hardcore, knowledgeable WF crowd erupted for Brad. I was like, he's just, you know, you can, he can say what he wants, but these people know what they're seeing. But sadly for him, after the, after the end of that run, he was never quite, never quite the same in WCW, sadly. But back to this, the Heart Foundation original music hits and Philadelphia erupts for these two as they stride down to the ring. And as he talks about watching Brett here at his prime to this reaction, um, really gave me chills up my spine and the word heroes isn't used too much in wrestling this day but this guy does legitimately remain and genuinely a hero of mine um you know to this day so this was two out of three falls to the wf world tag team championship in front of a rabid crowd and um, brett nearly caught the artist formerly known as crusher khrushchev um which is obviously one of our one of our mid south boys one of our boys, <laughs> yeah, one of our boys uh, with a roll up at the start but smash kicked out Vincent Mann says it's tough to tell the difference between Smash and Crush. And Piper added they were both severely ugly too, which is, uh, which is really funny. Brett worked over Smash's arm early on until Smash got back on top with a big body slam. Uh, Brett's selling was so, so good. And um, as we talked about, you know, making you believe, I mean, Christ, he was, he's just the best. Um, Joe, you know there's, been, there's been parallels with him and 
Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is 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 right right in the down kind of downturn of his career now, but obviously had a, had a really incredible match with Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom. But they're very similar. Tanahashi was probably more flashy, but in terms of like facials and selling an injury and getting you into it, it's just yeah. They're, they're, I would have loved. It's unfortunately they're they're in, in the wrong generation, but it'd been incredible to see those two and what they could have done together. Um, Nightheart makes the tag, but is soon chopped down by a kick from Crush as he's running the ropes. He makes it out and tags in Brett, and him and Smash go at it. Brett rallies against both men and very nearly gets a fall on Smash, which the crowd fully bought into. Crush broke up another pinning attempt as Smash dragged Hart into the corner, and they hit their trademark backbreaker middle rope elbow drop finisher for the first fall in 620. So the second fall continues with Brett. So I should have said this is two out of three falls. Um, which is a rare thing for WWF on pay-per-view. Um, the second fall continues with Brett stuck in there and Demolition continues to work him over until he finally hits a desperation clothesline on Smash and starts crawling his way to the corner. There's a lovely spot as Crush holds Smash's leg uh, his, as he clung on to Brett, but the ref kicked him away and he made the tag and the anvil made it in and is a house of fire, including a fantastic power slam on Smash a close near fall again which, which the crowd fully bought into and they booed um, when the ref told, told Jim Nighthart that it was only a two count um, Anvil gets smashed up for the heart attack clothesline and Crush jumped in to stop the referee and he calls it for the DQ so it's one all and interestingly I just watched a Saturday night's main event two out of three falls match between the Heart Foundation and the Bulldogs from 1987 where the Bulldogs won two straight falls but one was a DQ and the title didn't change hands so Obviously, they changed the, which is ridiculous because if it's two out of three falls, it's got you've got to allow it. And that's always, I've, as as I've understood, two out of three falls. But the titles didn't change hands in that one. Um, but back to nineteen ninety, back in the ring, Smash and Crush had the ref hold up in the corner as Axe made his way down the aisle and dived under the ring. Brett and Smash start the third fall, and the Hearts get a near fall as Nightheart power slam Brett onto a fallen Smash. It looked great. Then on the outside, Smash and Axe swap places under the ring and Axe gets in there and starts hammering down on Brett. The ref is completely oblivious in spite of Axe looking nothing like Smash or Crush and having short hair. And I guess we're meant to believe that the ref is just confused, but this is rank officiating. Piper plays devil's advocate as Vince says the ref is lost in the match, but he's not knocking him, but I think he should. Um, The crowd seems to know what is going on as well, as for the first time, there's a hush over them perhaps a realisation that Demolition are maybe about to attain the titles here. So on the outside, Axe and Smash work over Brett as the ref is held up. Then to a huge reaction, the Legion of Doom make their way to ringside. They deposit their shoulder pads in the aisleway, pull Axe from out from under the ring um, to an absolute fever pitch from the crowd. Crush was up on the top rope to try and hit Brett with their finisher again. And with with the ref's back turned, Hawk hits Crush in the back of the knee, which makes him spill off the top rope. Smash goes to confront, confront them in the ring and Nightheart hits a slingshot over the top rope with Brett behind him and he rolls him up for the win and new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions in 1551 to the absolute delight in those in attendance. This was fantastic. The crowd were losing their minds from the time that LOD came out. This reminded me a little bit of when Mankind won the WF title from the moment that Steve Austin's music hit to the pinfall, the crowd were like absolute 10 out of 10. And that's what it was like here after the LOD came out. And um, what did you think of this tag team championship match? Just a, this was brilliant. This yeah. was look. Some people will watch it and say, "Well, the wrestling was was good." It, it was it, it was you know the swap the, the the switching of the people was just silly. It was brilliant, right? Yeah. I mean, straight away two or three falls. 
I, I think you've just sort of actually gone against what I'm about to say, but two or three falls straight away. I'm like, okay, well, that's going to go to one all. Yes, yeah. One all is inevitable. Um, uh, you, you had Vince continuing to allude to the fact that, oh, how can you tell the difference between these guys? You can't yes. tell the difference. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, then, you know, lo and behold, Axe turns up, straight out of the ring. He's, again, predictable, but great. Um, Roddy Piper then starting doubting. Oh, are you, sh- are you sure they swapped? Oh, I'm not sure. Doubting that there was a swap just to add me in stitches. <laughs> like, him just going, oh, no, I don't know. It might be, like, brilliant. Um, a couple of things. The first, the first, you just, when you were just covering about the first fall, you said, oh, sorry if I forgot to mention. I forgot it was a two to, to two or three falls. Hmm. So when that first fall happened, I'm watching and I went, oh, I can't believe that. <laughs> oh. And then I was like, oh, they don't seem to be. Oh, I still, I, I got I got so into it, right? Yeah, that's great. Um, then um, for, the, for, the, for the second fall, it was a DQ, right? The, the heart do the double team. Yeah. He jumps over the pin. Yes, to knock the yeah. ref out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Why does he break the pin up? Yeah, exactly. I was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's the only bit I was like, yeah. oh, you let yourself down. But then he is an exper- uh, experienced member. And I can't remember if they said that in commentary, but that kind of maybe makes a little bit of sense that he did the stupid thing there. Yeah, so I thought that was funny. Um, I jumped, I actually jumped up when the title changed hands. Oh, brilliant. When yeah. they won. I was like, oh my God, I was so... Again, it was predictable what's going to happen, but it was brilliant. A uh, couple of gems from the commentary. Uh, I can't remember. Someone was uh, someone didn't sort of react very well. So Rowdy Roddy said, "We ain't looking for dairy products here. We fighting." Um, <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, I just pictured, you know, it's sort of like yeah, the idea that they're sort of just looking down like the aisle in the supermarket for what they want. Uh, <laughs> then he also said to Vince, which Vince completely ignored. Um, imagine the anvil asking to date your daughter. Which I it was quite, <laughs> oh, fucky, of course, yeah, because yeah. step- well, yeah, I'm not sure how old Stephanie McMahon would have been then, but certainly so, not not old enough to go out with um, with uh, yeah. Jimmy Anvil Nightheart. So that was amusing. The, but the other, but that, but for Vince, right? She was 13. Is, FYI, right. <laughs> well, maybe that is why Vince didn't reply. Um, <laughs> but that, the other highlight is Vince ever the businessman, yeah? He knows he's got a great fight on his hands here, right? He had known it was brilliant. And he said, one of them got, here, yeah, I can't remember who, was dazed. And he said, he doesn't know where he is. He probably thinks he's at Survivor Series at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, yeah I remember that. Yeah, yeah. superb. He's kind of got a plug-in for Survivor Series at Thanksgiving there. <laughs> that is forever the professional. I just thought that was brilliant. And all of these little things just made it even better. The commentary was good. Fans were riled up. You had, you know, in Bret Hart and, and, and the Hart Foundation, great competitors. Devilish, you just it was just great. It was yeah, just fun it was to fantastic. watch. Yeah. It was, it was, it was go out of your way to watch this one if you've not seen it before, because it was really, yeah. really good. Um, so we cut to an advert for WrestleMania 7 at the Los Angeles Memorial Col- Coliseum. And they talk about more than 100,000 screaming fans. Uh, being in attendance. But as we know, this event did not take place at the intended location due to poor ticket sales. Right. Perfect. It's still just recording on 
So you'd think after however many podcasts, I would know not to say things before I hit pause. So the O perfect was for our little refreshment break, but I'm not going to edit it out. So there you go. You get a little bit of a look behind the curtain there. So back on Summer Sam 19. Just if anyone wanted a first look, Sam Miguel is my drink of choice. Oh, yeah. I'm actually... I'm actually drinking, and they're quite good, actually, Dan. Uh, I've been trying to try various low-carb lagers out, and I'm drinking... Not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking... Uh, you know what? This is good, this stuff. So I've had bad lights, of course. Like, they're all right, but they're not amazing. This is Skinny Brands Premium Lager from Amazon. Got a load of them. They're incredible. But they're quite What's weak. A- they're 4%, but they're, they're, they're good. Very good. Uh, that's, well, it's not too bad, is it? Yeah, it's very, very, very tasty. I would recommend them. And bizarrely, the can one tastes better than the bottle. Which um which is not usual thing I suppose is it yeah. usually, usually bottle but there we go we digress so backstage we are with Gene Oakland who says it's a political year and he'd hate to be an incumbent with how titles are changing tonight. Legion Doom coming to shot and Animal says that week after week they've said they wanted a shot but they've been ignored. Hawk added they've been running roughshod over everyone. This is about demolition and demolition are micro mini men in a big man's world and they're the big men. In come the hearts. Jim the Anvil Nightheart said they will take on anyone and Brett adds that they are not going to hide behind the belt and they belong to the people. Um, we get a nice little low fire from the hearts before we cut back to Sean Mooney who is outside Demolition's dressing room and he suggests that the demos are holding their Legion of Doom responsible for what happened. He tries to get in the door, tries to get in the room but has the door slammed in his face. What do you think of these two segments? Um, if we just quickly go back to the WrestleMania one. Oh yeah, of um, course, yeah. I love... Again, it's just sign of times, isn't it? How imagine now the only way to buy tickets is by ringing up. Yeah, oh yeah. Or going there. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? People moan about Ticketmaster. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to get through on the phone? Well, I did People for SummerSlam 92. Know yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what? SummerSlam 92. Okay. So um, there was a, th- I don't know how we got it. I think it might have been a Silver Vision, used to be the company, used to UK VHSs. Yeah. And we got something through the door to say that you could get. You could get SummerSlam 92 tickets at Wembley Stadium the day before they went on general sale. So I've been I was at school that day and I think they went on sale like nine o'clock or something. And I said to my dad, like, you've got you've got to get these tickets, Dad. Like, you've got to get on this. Like, I want you phoning like every single second of the day. Um and I got in from school at like half three or whatever, or quarter to four. And he was like, I've been doing it, I've I've been doing it all day, Stephen. I've been doing it all day. And I was like, all right, Dad. And I've not been able to get any. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. I literally picked up the phone. Dialed the number straight through, got tickets. Bloody really? git, hadn't been doing it, had he? So, um, but we got, oh, I tell you so what, good. the tickets, that's a funny Unless when he was saying he's been doing it all day, he wasn't talking about your tickets, mate. Well, yeah, I think he'd been doing something else. You have a smile on his face. Yeah. Right, so sure. <laughs> My mum was at work, so I don't know, I don't know what he's been doing. Um, but yeah, we, we got, that was a funny old thing. Uh, they, 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 not to digress too powerful, because I'm sure we'll probably look at SummerSlam 92 at some point, but. They did Wembley Stadium in an odd way, in that the top tier for Wembley Stadium was the was the more I don't know what the floor was, but the twenty five it was like twenty five seventeen fifty and fifteen pounds I think the tickets for SummerSlam ninety two, and um, and the top tier at the old Wembley Stadium was like as if you were watching a football match. So that probably be a better place to sit than down lower. Um, but they we were right up in the corner for SummerSlam. And um, my sister was kicking off left, right, and centre with various stewards at uh, Wembley Stadium. Like, this isn't good enough. Like, I need to want to speak to someone. These tickets aren't good enough. We're too, we're too far away from the ring. And literally before bell time, she barged onto the floor uh, at Wembley Stadium. And we ended up finding some seats on the floor that weren't occupied. Funnily enough, the seat behind us, the actual seat wasn't there. 
So the person that was in that seat had to like crouch down or stand up the whole night. I think there was a kid there, so it wasn't too bad. We probably got, um, we probably like, I would say 20 rows back on the floor. So the seats weren't amazing, but they were better than the back. But yeah, we, we had that like in terms of like phoning up. And yeah. it's just like, what could you, what else could you do, could you do back then? That, and, and actually that was a thing for quite a long time after this in terms of like phoning up. For yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. No, no, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it said, obviously, don't miss it. Get it however you can. Just a side dusty road just on the back of a bin lorry. Everyone else is in like, <laughs> and I think the bushwhackers were on a log flume. It was just yes, quite amusing. Yeah. Um, the LOD uh, promo, I looked I looked that up in the dictionary. It's not a photo of them. Just save anyone <laughs> the time. Um, and I do like micro mini men. Is, that was a great line. Wasn't that's it? a great yeah. insult, yeah. isn't it? That great is a line. great insult. But really, yeah, really good. Idea. Yeah, really good. I thought this was, this was good here. Uh, backstage again uh, with Oakland, this time with Sensational Sherry, who says that when you intimidate your opponent so much they don't turn up, <laughs> that is a good reason to celebrate. And again, they talk about the ongoing storyline surrounding Sapphire's disappearance. So a question for you, Dan, here. Did Sherry's cat makeup do it for you or not? Okay, so in answer to that, she says... Uh, uh, mean Jean says about there's been some sightings and she says sightings what is she a ufo and i wrote <laughs> a bit rich given that she's dressed like she's from space yes yeah she looks absolutely ridiculous <laughs> what, one of the points i was going to make and i haven't looked is where is she from uh well in terms of uh, i didn't expect you know her but uh, life story but I'm I think she's from the south somewhere in the states. If I had to, she has a uh, very, very strange accent. Yeah, uh, I think she's. Where was she from? Columbia, oh, South Carolina. Oh no, uh, sorry, born Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. Okay, yeah. fine. I don't know. Maybe she'd sort of had some sort of lesson stuff because she had very. I don't know. She just spoke of a really weird accent. It uh, wouldn't surprise me at all because I think Sherry in her early days was quite a bit more Southern. It wouldn't surprise me at all, because Vince Mann didn't like Southern accents on his television. It wouldn't surprise me at all if she had elocution lessons or something. She certainly spoke differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she looked ridiculous. Um, yeah. I, do you know what? It's really sad, actually, because when I watched, again, the Dark Side of the Ring, I watched the Macho Man Elizabeth one. Yes. Um, yeah. And it discussed sort of their issues and stuff. I don't know. I went on to read a bit about Sherry and yeah, another another one from that from that era that you know just obviously again a bit of fame and just couldn't handle it maybe when it's finished and not, you know she overdosed and stuff. It's just you know really what? sad, yeah. you know. It was really when sad. I watch, when I watch these shows, sometimes you're just like, do you know what it's a bit like? It reminds me of um, they they mention now about say George Best, yes, um, being sort of the first superstar and and they didn't really know Gaza the same as well, right? Where they were just massive superstars. And no one's really sort of there to, to the resources there aren't there to help them out where you've got fame, fortune, and, you know, they don't know what to do with it, right? Yes. And, and I think this generation was that so many of them died young from, you know, over, over, over exuberance, we say, you yeah. know. Different, different, but different reasons, and and maybe the support networks or the advice wasn't there at the time, and it is really sad. I do find that really. So I, I find that whole thing very interesting in regards to the support for for. I think now for footballers, 
in particular, you know, there is a lot of help and support out there. I know in the NFL there's a lot. It's just some of them players just don't choose to use it. Um, oh, yeah, I completely agree. Do, do you know what? I'm, I'm just, it's, it's a really horrible thing to, to look at. But the... Um, the death count on this this uh, this this show is is quite quite incredible, really. Um, I think I think it's 12, 12, act, 12 wrestlers that, that competed on this card um, are no longer with us. Plus, you've got obviously Bobby Heenan. Um, there's a referee in there, Joe Morello, who died in a car crash. He was the referee um, certainly in a few of the big matches. I think he was a referee in. Uh, tag team title match um so yeah not not great sapphire's not around either um as well so yeah very very yeah. sad but you're, you're absolutely right it's um you know it was it was a mad old time like we talked about earlier on like it was sherry's a sad one actually because she got inducted into the wwe hall of fame um i i can't remember the exact that year but she did an absolutely incredible speech at the hall of fame like she did she did she got a couple of hecklers and like she was almost like a stand-up comedian that just like put them down and like she was just she was just so so good um yeah she was inducted into the hall of fame by ted DiBiase in chicago in april 2006 and she died just a little bit over a year later um but yeah she was so good that night and, you, and it's like like we said about Heena. it's like certain people have just got that intangible yeah. star quality and she she really did have it yeah yeah um, but, so, but, but, but just to clarify, she, she, she dressed awfully. I didn't catch that. Sorry, <laughs> say that again. Just to clarify, she dressed awfully. Well, yeah, I think it was like cats inspired, wasn't it? But or maybe maybe sort of spaceship. But I, I didn't yeah. I didn't mind it if I'm completely honest. Oh, but her, yeah. uh, I preferred her WrestleMania Seven outfit. And um, so Oakland then says we're going to have a five minute intermission. This is bizarre, actually. So um, that's my question. And my question is, is that normal? Okay, so I've never come across that. So the interesting thing about these, because also I, I just sorry, just no, it's okay. I, I, I viewed it that it's an intermission, uh, and I viewed a five-minute intermission to mean that that went to an ad break. I've just paid for this event. Yes. I don't want to see adverts. I've paid for it. You don't need adverts yeah. when I've paid. Yeah, right? I know what you when mean. It's free yeah. to air. You give me adverts because they paid for it. I've paid for it. I shouldn't be seeing, and I don't know, like. Um, intermissions were certainly a thing around here and I don't know what they aired during that time but it was generally accepted you'd get a bit of a break to go and get a drink yeah. make a tip we've whatever just we've just done it then yeah so. we've, just done, we've just done our own um, but actually the thing that's really interesting for me is I've not watched most of these events on the network because I just haven't since that since the network's been a thing but these these versions of them are a straight copy of what aired on pay-per-view whereas the VHS tapes that I had had a lot of this stuff taken out and a lot of the talking segments that we're going to go on to talk about in a second i don't remember a lot of these and i think that on the old silver vision release a lot of this stuff was edited out like they would edit bizarre things out like um not so much summer slams but wrestlemania's you had like the america the beautiful or national anthem whatever at the start all of that stuff was was off the off the vhs's um even even some of the quality of the pictures i think the v i think the network actually um and what do you think about this in terms of like this is nine, filmed in 1990, but a lot of the classic events I've seen, the production is really good and the pictures are pretty clear, aren't they? You wouldn't necessarily know yeah. that this was 30 years old, would you? No, I mean, yeah, no. you only know from sort of the, what's what's odd, what's being displayed. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. So as you know, I watched every WrestleMania from the first one, so went through all, all the decades. Um, and yeah, I didn't watch any of them WrestleManias and go, Oh, that was a tough watch because the quality was poor. Yeah, exactly. And that's no the big way. difference. Everyone was easy. Yeah. Everyone was yeah. easy, yeah. Easy to watch every single one. 
So um, yeah, I don't, I don't, the intuition was was a thing, but I don't know what they what they show. But it's just interesting, and I like it actually. I like the fact that this He's was on the, the show network. Into two. I, they yeah. made it quite. A, I quite like that. I like this. This is on the network, and it was kind of as as it as it was aired at the time. Um, so we get the Summer Sam screen, and we're back with Gene, and he runs through the remainder of the card, and then the Jake Roberts and Bad News Brown are up next. Um, and Gene says that early in the day they had a chance to look at um, look in Brown's dressing room. Uh, where there were 200 pounds of sewer rats, and we get a clip supposedly of a rat gnawing a cage. This wasn't a rat, was it? I don't think. I hope not. Do you know what? That is nightmare stuff. Yeah. That rat. <laughs> do you know? I don't know. I don't I think know. It was a, I think it was a, it was a gerbil was bigger than hamsters, isn't it? It's it was a gerbil. Horrifying. Yeah. It was horrifying. It was huge. There was no way that was a rat. If I owned a gerbil, I'd be pretty annoyed at you right now because I don't think that is a gerbil. Oh, it really? Was, okay. It was just horrible. <laughs> It was harrowing. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't very nice. And apparently, these uh, rats are going to uh, eat Jake, Snake, Damien. And um, we then throw to a clip of Damien in the shower, his mouth wide open. And um, these animal bits turn my skin a bit now because I'm sure that all of these poor animals suffered a lot in WF in the late '80s. What did you think of this Damien in the shower? Thing I laughed here? at that bit, to be honest. I will, I will get on to animal cruelty later on, but for okay. this bit, he was loving life. Oh, do you think? Okay. I, I wonder whether yeah. he was getting hot water on it. He was like panting because that's why his, his mouth was open. Yeah, but I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Having, having uh, shampooed my dog earlier on, who clearly didn't like it. I mean, it's a puppy. She's only five months, so I think she's still used to that sort of stuff. But made me think, actually, maybe animals don't like that. No, um, yeah, yeah, perhaps. But, but I just thought Damien looked like he was enjoying it. Well, good on him. Uh, there's a promo with the big boss man about the upcoming match where he'll be acting as a special guest referee and he says he will upload the, uphold the law. He's not afraid of snakes because he's been dealing with snakes his whole life. Um, same for things from sewers and he'll be there to, sh- to be sure that justice prevails. Um, we get yet another promo, this time with Mid-South veterans Jim Duggan and Nikolai Volkov. Volkov says that Duggan is his idol and they're going to take on the Midnight Express. Um, any thoughts on these two promos uh, with the boss man and then afterwards Volkov and I Duggan? I don't really have any on boss mans, but on uh, on our boys. Yes. No. Yep. Um, Home team. The, cl- the classic mock Russian accent. Oh, he is. Volkov. He's Bulgarian though. So. Ah, right. Because yeah. it was very odd. Is like, he the top. But it's very over the top, wasn't it? I just yeah. thought it was... I suspect he speaks better than English than that. I think uh, I've heard him Yugoslavian, sorry, Yugoslavian. He's born in splits. I think I've heard him speak better English than that before. <laughs> but I might be wrong. Um, also, and this could be sound, this could be ridiculous to listeners. And, uh, you know, that is the first time I've really noticed Axel Jim Duggan's eye. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yep. Right. First time I've noticed that he's got like a cross eye, a bit like small, mm. right? And that will all come to play in a bit. That's the first time I noticed it when I was watching it, right? So just remember that. And then secondly, they called themselves the American Express. Yes. Because you don't want to leave home without them. What does that even mean? <laughs> I think that was a marketing campaign for American Express credit yes, cards, isn't it? Yeah. But, so, oh... God, oh yeah, I'd want if I went out to the shops, I'd want to take them two with me. <laughs> I assume for protection. I mean you're clutching at straws, but I liked it. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Don't leave home without us. Oh, God. 
there, there was, I mean, this this middle section of the show is 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 an odd one for a pay per view. You get an, oh. another promo afterwards. This time with Earthquake, Dino Bravo, and Jimmy Hart. Quakes this is going to be a disaster at SummerSlam, and they recap the big injury angle on the Brother Love Show, and also how Tugboat had encouraged all of the Hulkamaniacs to write letters to Hogan to come back. Uh, in actuality, Hogan spent the time filming a movie, um, but this angle and letter writing campaign was huge. Um, and they actually used these addresses to market their mail order catalogs, uh, which was ingenious, actually. So you wrote a letter in saying, please come back, Hogan, and you got a mail order catalog. Um, so they show Earthquake injuring Tugboat as well. And Quake says that Hogan and his new corner man, Big Boss Man, would both be stretched out that evening. Um, this is a big, big night for Earthquake in a really featured match. And this was the peak of his career. And um, what did you think of this interview? Yeah, so... I like that he was like, this is one earthquake you can predict. Uh, he don't stop moving. Yeah. I know it's the gimmick. Um, that, yeah, I was going to say about the letters to Hogan. I think you've mentioned it on a previous podcast, mm. and I always remember finding that really interesting, actually, yeah. about how that's how they got the data um, for fans. And I always remember thinking that was really interesting. Um, given, actually, what we've just discussed in Mid-South, I suspect the address they gave for Hulk Hogan was not his home address. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like they did in Mid-South, but uh, there we go. Um, so I thought that was good. Again, I don't need to bring it up again, but another interesting point for me was this was the first time I've seen Dino Bravo since watching his episode. Yes, of Dark, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which isn't... Do you know what? That one is more of a... Whereas, whereas the Von Erics is, 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 is all about wrestling. It's all about wrestling and the effects of wrestling. Dino Bravo's is a bit about wrestling, but actually, if you think about it, his downfall was due to his decisions outside of wrestling. Yes. You know, his, they were his, they, you know, the Von Erics were just fully encapsulated in wrestling and wrestling was the thing that played on their mind and getting injured and stuff. Dino Bravo was... For me, he's he just made some bad decisions. Yeah. Um, so I don't really go on that one as much. But again, it's just another. I was just like, wow, it's just chucking old dark side of the ring sort of people at me. Yeah, but, I mean, this is the era, isn't it? This is the yeah. era. This, these these and big goes back to what we just discussed. You know, the reason you had the series like dark side of the ring was again because you had a number of individuals that weren't looked after. Uh, yeah. We just we just sort of expected. Oh, you got a lot of money. Sort yourself out. Yeah, and that's exactly. not how it is, unfortunately. No, and and these people were really well known. I mean, we're talking about um, you know NBC three or four times a year into the Saturday Night Live, you know, mainstream home yeah. fire with Hulk Hogan. I mean, the, the, this is why this is why it's sort of our generation, a little bit older, really remember these people. And when they were in their teens and early twenties, they remember Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, etc. Yeah. And that's the two. That's the two two big booms, and that and that's why that was pretty unique circumstances. But also, as you say, this is like um, they were so popular, and people were so invested. And this was still the era where the whole there was still the debate around is it real or not. And actually, that you know Bravo's uh, documentary. One of the things they mentioned was that these mafia fellas he was knocking about with were taking him to some of their meetups or whatever because the people would be like, yeah. wow, that's Dino Bravo. Yes. Yeah. He's going to sort me out. Now, actually, okay, yeah, he's still a big guy, don't get me wrong, but they were viewing him as he's Dino Bravo, he's going to suplex me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. actually, that's not how it is, but that's one of the reasons he was used by these guys. Um, well, yeah, absolutely, which is, which is, which is crazy. Yeah. that he was who he was. Um, 
so anyway, so that's just a side, but it's just very, yeah, again, very interesting with, with, with that. So we get another we get another promo um, now with Jake Roberts with Sean Mooney, uh, and he asks Roberts if he's afraid of rats, um, and he says he doesn't need to be afraid. Roberts asks how hungry Brown is because that's what he's it's going to come down to. Um, Damien is wrapping his body around Roberts' neck while he was cutting this promo. And I didn't know how he didn't just freak out of this. And um, what do you think about Roberts' promo here? And Damien, there was there was once he looked a little. There was one bit when he wrapped around his neck yeah. where he moved him straight away. Yeah. Um, but then he let him do it again. And I do wonder, you know, I'm sure, obviously, he, he would have been trained in all of the traps. So. I think, uh, he, I think he, he lived, I think Damien was his pet, basically. Yeah. So I think he was, I got, God knows how they got him on, I suppose, with, with planes. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess he did the house show second. I don't really know. But I, I, it would have been, yeah, I'm sure that whole thing would have been painful I mean, for j- everyone concerned. We obviously got to the match, but just while we were on Jake the Snake, one thing, one thing, um, going back to, to, my youth and stuff is the Hasbro figures. I had oh, a yeah, yeah. I had a Jake the Snake with the old uh, punch spring thing. Yeah, and he had yeah. a snake. He come with a snake. Yes, around his neck. And uh, recently, I found my old Hulk Hogan that I had. Did you? Um, okay, great. Yeah, and, and I decided, and I had series the series one thing. Yes. Right? I, I, for those that know the figures, I've start, I've learned a little bit because what I decided to do is, do you know, what? I'm going to go on eBay. I'm going to buy a Jake the Snake. Okay. Yeah. If you've got a Jake the Snake, boxed or unboxed, with the snake, you are talking hundreds of pounds. Wow. There is plenty of Jake the Snakes without the snake on there. Yeah, through your boots, you can have that. Hmm. It seems losing the snake was quite common for everybody. I've no got, one's got the snake. I've got Jake Roberts, my mum's. I'm not sure about the snake. The snake I'm pretty no. sure I've got the snake. No yeah. one's got the snake with No it. one's got the snake, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and without the snake, he's just he's just a white male in green trousers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he not be worth anywhere. very much. Uh, but yeah. So at long last, we are back to in-ring action um, with Bad News Brown in the ring. And then out comes Roberts for a nice reaction from the crowd. Um, I guess we're meant to think here that this match is going to end with either Damien eating the rat or the rat eating Damien. Um, it's odd that the boss man was using this role as special referee and later on in the first part of the main event uh, as well. Um, so obviously double feature for boss man here. Um, the match be- here began fast with Roberts going for his famed DDT right at the beginning. Um, Piper says that for once he is on Robert's side, but he hates snakes. Um, Brown gets in the boss man's face after a near fall. On the outside, Brown hits Roberts right in front of the boss man with a chair, but this does not lead to DQ initially. Um, it feels like the crowd on a bit of a downer here after taking title match and intermission. Uh, and Piper suggests that bad news doesn't smell very nice. Um, Roberts gets his patented short arm clothesline in as the crowd chants the DDT. Um, Roberts does the sign and the crowd erupts, but bad news backdrops his way out of it. Again, News uses the chair on the outside, and this time the boss man calls the DQ. Brown goes for Damien while boss man was checking on here on uh, Roberts on the outside and tried to hit a leg drop on the snake, um, but the boss man made the save. Bad News eventually attacked the boss man, who Piper called the bosom man throughout. Roberts then got back in and went for Roberts with the snake. Uh, sorry, went for Bad News with the snake, and then he cleared out the ring. I thought this was terrible. What did you think? Okay, so this is where, going back to the, yeah, right, I didn't mind him in the shower. I could not believe that when he, I mean, he nearly landed on Damien, the bag with Damien on, with the leg drop. Yes. Uh, Bossman pulled it away, and I just assumed he weren't going to be in it, and I've rewound to see if they swapped the background. No, 
he, he's the snake was actually yeah. in there. Yeah. That was really close. Um, just on the wrestling side, I actually thought, I've always viewed Jake the Snake as, a, I used to like him, but I think as a kid, I liked him because of the gimmick. Yes. Um, I actually, I actually, I know you thought it's matching, but I thought he wrestled all right um, in this. Um, I thought, I originally watched it and thought, oh, he's wrestling all right, given his age. Obviously forgetting that people in the 80s and 90s looked well old. So he's 35. Yeah, this, yeah. Which actually, Top like around. the age between me and you, he, he, oh God. But for me, I'm sorry, just to clarify, you also had a little bit of racial profile with that Bad News Brown is finishes the ghetto blast. Oh yeah, yeah. I've so unnecessary. That, yeah. yeah. Why do yeah. they, uh, anyway. Which was but, quite a cool move actually. It was like a, like a kind of like a knees drop kick to the so back of the head. Yeah, yeah, that sort is, of annoys yeah. me so much. Yeah. But I just, I just want to uh, tell people the difference between the commentary of Vince and Rowdy Roddy Piper summed up as follows. Vince, probably best, best big line, big catchphrase I made this was, no one gets up after a DDT, right? Yep. A JSA DDT. Straight away, cringe DDT, which as we know, has gone on to become standard move. Yeah. John Moxie's trying to bring it back a little bit uh, with a paradigm shift, which is DDT with your arms lifted up. Rowdy Roddy Piper comes out with one of my favourite lines I've possibly ever heard. Okay, yeah, God. Which he called Bad News Brown... He went, look at his oily head. He's got so much oil on his head that the Arabs will start chasing him. I literally lost my... Yeah, I could I... not stop laughing at that. Like, literally, I was like, I don't know if that politically correct. Is it not politically correct? Where has that come from? Like, he's got so much oil on the head. He's just said the bloke stinks. I was just like, he's, the Arabs will chase him. I, to me, I was just like, this guy... He's, Piper was just like he's lost he, it. He's, he's coming yeah, out yeah. just he's coming out with all different things. I he's turned up to ten, so ten, isn't he? And he's just like this is this is just me and this is nineteen ninety. I'm just going to put it out there, isn't it? And, yeah. because, and because of that, I think that is why you've ended that and got that's an awful match. Because I think I maybe I don't know for whatever reason this is a commentary. I've sort of not really noticed the match. Yeah, not yeah. Really, I've not even got to know that it was a bad match because I was just <laughs> too transfixed about blind like that. <laughs> So going back to the the Damien uh, kind of animal cruelty, they actually did an angle, believe it or not, uh, probably about a year or so after this, where Earthquake killed Damien like live on Superstars by dropping a an Earthquake kind of bomb on him. Um, though I don't actually think that Damien was in the bag when Earthquake dropped the dropped the load on him, so to speak, and that was the yeah. end of Damien, sadly. And um, right, so where are we? So Piper said on commentary, um, he I suspect was, another promo. <laughs> oh, crikey, yeah, summer, summer talk. Um, Piper's on commentary, I don't know, I, th- I think that was a bit of a cheap victory. Um, we get another WrestleMania promo, and thereafter we have an interview along with Demolition and Gene Oakland, and Axe says that the Hart Foundation cheated, Smash they didn't play fair, and Crush says they want, uh, they want man enough, they weren't man enough to face them without help. Um, Axe said the LOD put their ugly faces where they don't belong, and Smash adds that the imposters' futures are going to be hopeless. Smash says that when they're finished with Hawk, he'll be hawking hot dogs in the stands. And Crush adds that animal will be neutered. A couple of good lines at the end of this one. What do you think of this promo? Yeah, some great lines. But you know what I like the most? The spin that they've done. Absolutely brilliant. They were the ones that come down, uh, utilise the third man, right? And they spun it to say it was four on three. It's unfair. 
absolutely yes, brilliant. Because yeah. you know what? They're factually correct. Absolutely brilliant. They cheated, but they spun it. It's four and three. Yeah, it was. I thought that was great. That's yeah, brilliant. Spin. Exactly. That's 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 good. Um, that's good being a heel kind of thing in terms of uh, <laughs> you know believing uh, believing what. Um, what you're doing is the right thing, basically, and, what, and you're yeah. you're above it all, kind of thing. So yeah, really yeah. good. Um, as I've just put in my notes, I don't remember there being so many bloody promos in this show. And I'm sure that a lot of this stuff was was edited out of the air, the airing on Eurosport and probably the VHS as well. And the next segment was with Brother Love and Sergeant Slaughter, and this is just what this show did not need at this time. Um, Dave Meltzer in the third of September, 1990, Wrestling Observer said this was reminiscent of the classic. Morton Downey Jr. segment at WrestleMania 5 and that it was a drag and it was terrible. Um, and he said that Slaughter got no heat and the segment was a bomb. Um, basically, Sergeant Slaughter gave Brother Love an award, declared war on Nikolai Volkov, and this felt like it went on for an absolute eternity. Uh, what do you think of this segment? I've just put here, Brother Love, please can you explain? Please can I explain? What What, what is this? Like, so, as in, I've come across Brother Love from... My WrestleMania good story. Yeah. When you when you when we've watched or you've recommended certain pay-per-views from before, but when I was watching, you know, old enough to start watching wrestling properly, he wasn't in it. Um, I just don't get this guy. What 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 is it? I don't think he's not funny. Is he anyone's manager? What what what's his deal? I couldn't so, you know what? I was so angry with watching that little thing, I couldn't be bothered to search him. So Brother Love was kind of like a, um, he was kind of like a sort of a TV evangelist, sort of preacher type character. So Bruce, right, yeah. Bruce Pritchard, who played this character, was really high up in WWF Creative at the time, like number two, number three. And he's actually in charge of... Oh, he's Raw been on Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, he has. On Dark Side of the Ring, he's like a talker. Yeah, and he's like, got a very like, famous panther. He's got a, he had a very famous podcast that was actually really, really good for a long time where he would talk about his involvement in creative. But a big falling out of the company around 2008 left and he's been brought back. But he's kind of a little bit, I don't know, it's, he had his time. Um, but I think it's probably fair to say that perhaps that time has passed in terms of being head of creative now. But that's what this was. This was like a... You're, you're flicking through the, for the channels in the States in the 80s and you see like a preacher kind of thing and someone trying to sell yeah, something to okay. you and that's, that that's what it was, now. yeah. That's kind of what it was. And, and, um, and he worked that was, with a company behind the scenes, yeah, which again and he makes did sense it. why they persevered with this. I think, I'm not sure if he did any matches around this time, but he, he introduced The Undertaker, but that, that was, mainly his role was an interview segment on Superstars where an angle would happen and that's where, it was on his show where the Hogan injury angle happened. Um, and a few, you know, a few other, a few other famous things happened then. And he, he was phased out, probably ninety one, ninety two. Because actually, uh, I think Bruce Prichard actually left the company around then for a period of time, and then came back later. And that's that's why he was kind of off off camera. Um, so uh, after this segment, we cut backstage an interview with the Orient Express along with Mister Fuji. Fuji says that Duggan has one crossed eye, and after the match, he's going to have two. Um, Mooney cuts away from the interview for some late breaking news. Sapphire races into the dressing room and then slams the door in Oakland's face. Gene says that we know that she's safe, and that's the important thing, and he's not sure about the wild rumours that Sherry has been talking about. Um, Orient Express versus Duggan and Volkov now, and Piper says he doesn't trust Volkov. And there's a big, oh, <laughs> I've done a terrible job with that from the crowd. But Duggan, 
And Finkel asked the crowd to rise as Duggan and Volkov pay homage to one of Philadelphia's finest, the one and only, the late Kate Smith, uh, as they sing, God Bless America. Vince says this ought to be good, and sadly it wasn't. The crowd joined in a bit, but it got worse. Believe it or not, I thought Duggan was actually the more unbearable singer than Nikolai. Piper says it sounded like dinner was late at the dog pound. And Duggan says, may God place all of... Uh, God, may God... I can't... I don't know what he said here. Something, something positive about the troops in the Middle East, but I've fudge my notes on this uh, what do you think of this singing from Nikolai and Duggan here right let me go before I get to singing let's, let's have a little look at this or in Express yet again I mentioned this before Express just put it in front of anything yes yeah, yeah. If, like I don't know if the Surrey superstar but when he when he teamed up with Stephen Guttridge <laughs> we were like, they could have been the Surrey Express or do you know what I mean which is probably the bus local bus service isn't it I don't know mate <laughs> Yeah you're, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> um, so there was that. Um, again, going back to what I said earlier, I've teed this up, that I just obviously, this is when I've just noticed he had a cross eye and everyone to go, going to hit him so hard, he'll have two cross eyes. <laughs> and then Volkov hit him so hard in the middle of the head, he'll look like Gorbachev. Oh, I didn't catch that. Quite yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so hard in the middle of the head, he'll yeah. go red like Gorbachev, which is brilliant. Um, and then... Just on the Sapphire search thing, Jean was really worried about her whereabouts, right? Yes. Really, really worried. Mean Jean is his name. When he commentates, he's a very caring individual. Was he a wrestler previously? No, he wasn't. So where is Mean Jean from? Because I'll tell you one thing, he doesn't appear to be as mean. Yeah, I don't... I honestly don't know, actually. I I think... um... Maybe, maybe sort of line, a tough line of questioning to the heels in terms of his sort of interview oh, okay. style. I think, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he 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 was a uh, um, he was in the AWA, but he he certainly wasn't a wrestler. I think he may have been on radio radio before he was involved in wrestling, but was always a big sort of wrestling fan. Um, but yeah, I, I, mean, he, um, I, I mean, for me, for me, like the whole that that era is one of the things that I always will remember and every one of these sort of interviews promos with him every single one you have to answer any question with i tell you what mean gene yes yeah, yeah. and you know what it's great isn't it I, I actually love it like hulk obviously is the epitome of doing it but they all do it yeah and i think and it's thing brilliant it's yeah brilliant. i agree these interviewers do a good job him and sean mooney are both really good they're legitimate he was really good in this yeah they're legitimate and they're like they're not like, like the robots you get so yeah so gene oakland was a dj in um omaha they moved to minneapolis uh we worked as a radio host um and then he got a job with the american wrestling association the awa in 1970 so he's there until 1984 um when basically he got poached by the World Wrestling Federation and that was that was him for a number of years until he joined World Championship Wrestling in ninety three and was there until the end of that end of that company in a similar sort of role. So yeah, Gene was Gene was superb. Um yeah, really, really, really good on in everything he did, like ooze professionalism and, and it was a good laugh at the same time. Um so in this match, Fuji smashed Volkov with the with his cane as the Orient Express were well on top. The crowd started a loud USA, USA chant, and Volkov eventually made the tag to Duggan, 
who took over on both men with his fairly rough style. He hit a double clothesline that was used for years and years and years in WF adverts and Sky thereafter. And then all four men um, are in the ring and Tanaka and Tanaka and Sato are hurled into each other before Duggan hit the clothesline out of th- the three-point stance to the win in a forgettable three minutes and four seconds. Thoughts on this one? So, um, or an Express, I'll put or Express through the American Express. Um, there was fans with foam two-by-fours. Yes. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. I love that. I think that's great. Um so I got that. I had a little look, and Kate Smith, who they dedicated the anthem to. Yes. From what I can see, she was known as yeah, first lady of radio, songbird of the south. She's a bit. I I, I assume she's like the American Vera Lynn. Okay. So she was the songbird of the south. Apparently, she was quite big in like World War Two. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and she was from there. Um, now, last week, uh, this pod, I can't remember who said it. it might be Mark. I think mentioned that um Duggan is sort of a poor wrestler yes and don't get wrong I agree okay I do agree however I thought he weren't too bad in this actually um I thought he was okay I thought he sort of like fought well wrestled well I actually particularly like the bit where he had the two members of the Orient Express and he was all alternately punching each one um and then he just smashed their heads together I don't know I quite enjoyed that but yeah, I he wasn't. That, he wasn't terrible. He looked, fair, this, he looked yeah. fairly, fairly agile. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? As well, what I quite liked when he got the pin, he looked genuinely happy. Yes, yeah. Like, he looked really like over the moon, and the crowd reaction was big. Yeah. Um, and I just really liked that. Like, I just sort of looked like it actually really meant a lot to him. And I don't know. There's just something about that. Like, so maybe it's a bit like he's like not taking for granted the position he's in. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, these guys don't get too many, um, you know, too many wins on pay-per-view and, you know, it's a big deal to be there in the spectrum in, in Philadelphia live in pay-per-view, getting a win, win, big crowd reaction. Like, it's a big moment for them and I, I think that's, um, you know, that's probably worth some of the the hard toil on the road to get, get moments like this, definitely. Um so uh, Dave Meltzer had an interesting comment on this uh, this match, uh, and he said that he thought that Duggan and Volkov must be the worst team currently in the wrestling business. So there we go. And um, we cut backstage to Dusty Rhodes banging on the door, but Sapphire would not let him in. Rhodes says he's never seen her like this, and he's worried sick about her. He says there is something going down here, but he needs to go to his match. And next up, we have the macho king, Randy Savage, versus Dusty Rhodes, and we hear that great music again. And backstage, we cut to Randy Savage on his throne, Moody said it's clear that his opponent is going to be out there by himself. And Savage said that the rumours must be true and you can't blame her for not wanting to be with a common man for the rest of her life. He said he's going to lay him to rest in the ring and lead the way. Oh, yeah. And um, Thoughts on the Macho King here? Um, just to clarify, before we saw the Macho King, it panned to the crowd and there was a boy, probably no older than 10 years old, dressed as the ultimate warrior. Um... But by that, if you actually turn it put it in perspective, he was just in a pair of blue pants. Oh yeah, yeah I remember. And this, with yeah. tassel, tassels on. Um, I don't know what the American social service system was back then. But I'm pretty confident <laughs> if oh, when the WWE tour, if I brought my four-year-old girl in a pair of knickers and some tassels, I probably wouldn't be allowed in. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think you would. Well, I think I would be allowed in to a holding cell, I think it's called, yeah. <laughs> while they call the rep room. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I, 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 before this match, I don't know if you mentioned the promo with Dusty. Um, yes, yeah. Quick promo with Dusty. Um, again, I'm not being horrible, but, um, and I know that um, Cody and uh, uh, Goldust uh, have different um, have different mums. Um, well, I assume they do because well, I don't know. Maybe they they don't. But what I was going to say, no, is, I don't. I don't think they do. I don't think uh, they do. I, I no. do like I, I like Dusty and everything, but the mum must be very attractive because <laughs> Cody <laughs> Cody's a decent looking fella and Dusty is poor. Like he's just a he's a mess, isn't he? <laughs> Um, I so, don't think. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't have. Uh, uh, okay, uh, I, I don't know, Joe. What I don't know now. I don't okay, know, fair, enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. You ca- you carry on. I'll look that up. Uh, that. Um, yeah, I mean, with the with the Macho King. Yeah, I mean, I, I did that, the interview before. Uh, he mentions. Um, uh, before he goes out, he mentions to the yeah. No, you're sorry, Dan. You're right. You're yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I never knew that. I never knew that. So you learn something every day. Yeah. Um, Dustin was with his work with Dusty Rhodes' first wife, Sandra, um, and Cody was with uh, his his wife when he when he passed away in 2015, Michelle. So yeah, how interesting. Anyway, I noticed that. So we're just talking pre-match, right? Yeah, the match. Oh, yeah. It's a pre-match match. I noticed that uh, the commentator says, uh, oh, to interview interview you, this is the, the, the sort of scowl we'll go to. He, he's just climbed the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and also they say about, um, they say in it about, uh, obviously, uh, Dusty being a commoner. Uh, yeah, the Macho King sort of rocks up in his sort of MDF painted golden throne. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh I, I guess for me on this bit, I shout a question for you actually. Uh, as a um, as a big macho fan, mm. um, what were your thoughts on him being macho king? Because for me, it doesn't work, and I don't like it. Um, but yeah. it obviously, it obviously does then lead to your favorite one of your favorite WrestleMania moments. Yeah, I but, think so. So I I was introduced to this character as the Macho King. So this is the first time I see him. But then soon after this, I got so SummerSlam '88 is the first VHS I owned, and that was when he was like, I, uh, he it was him and Hogan versus Teddy Boss and Andre the Giant in the main event. So you got the whole like him winning the title storyline. I always thought Savage worked best, it, very similar to Bret Hart actually. And there's a really good match with Savage and Bret Hart from Saturday Night's main event in '87, where this is completely on. Savage worked best as the underneath smaller baby face who would fight and he'd get a win out of nowhere with a roll-up or something like that. I thought he showed great intensity and aggression as a bad guy, but I think the crowd wanted, I think the crowd wanted to like this guy. I think he was super popular in 88 and into 89 um, when he won the title. Um, and I actually think that when he came out here, he actually got quite, I don't know if you noticed this, but I thought he got quite a lot of cheers from this Philadelphia crowd. And it's yeah. like, this, this, this is a guy they wanted to cheer. And like, they pulled they pulled the trigger on his baby face turn not all that long after this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it reminds me a bit like uh, AEW's obviously trying to make like Jericho 
uh, yes. hill. And it just doesn't work. I mean, it, people more like just laugh at the laugh at him, not in a not at him, sorry, with him. Yeah, people uh, aren't paying uh, to see Jericho people, lose. People are they? would prefer. People would prefer as a as a member of the coach. You'd prefer to be a heel. Yeah, and yeah. I think the same with Macho Man. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, the king, the king thing was just just to kind of check. So at the time, they had a, had a, had a king gimmick in the WF where like, Harley Race had had it. Um, they, uh, Harley Race had had it. Uh, Haku had had it. Um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan had had it. And Macho, Macho Man got it from Hacksaw Jim Duggan, basically. So but actually, by this point, they were sort of phasing... Um, phasing this out a little bit in terms of sort of he wasn't in the crown or anything like that but he was still still referred to as Macho King um, all the way through to the end of his Wrestlemania 7 match um, so as we said Savage got quite a lot of cheers from the Philadelphia crowd here when he came out um, and after he made it inside the ring we cut to an interview segment with Ted DiBiase um, DiBiase says that everyone has a price for the million dollar man that includes Dusty Rhodes he says that everyone watching the show has a price and money can buy anyone or anything. And tonight he bought Rhodes' humiliation. DiBiase says that if there's ever been a doubt in Dusty's mind or anyone else's that what he says isn't true, they need to feast their eyes on his latest purchase, Sweet Sapphire. They go to Dusty in the ring and he's completely distraught. DiBiase tells Dusty to take a long, hard look. Sapphire then opens up her gym bag full of money. DiBiase then asks Rhodes who he thinks bought all the gifts for Sapphire. Who but the million-dollar man could afford it? DiBiase says that Rhodes shouldn't be upset with Sapphire because she didn't do anything that anyone else wouldn't do. He says that Sapphire had her price, just like everyone else has their price. DiBiase then asks Dusty Rhodes what he's going to do about it as he does his iconic laugh. Piper speculates that maybe Dusty had got a bit rusty when it came to the women. And Dusty ends up going out after DiBiase, but Savage attacks him from behind in the aisleway as the bell rings. Savage throws Dusty back into the ring and he goes up to the top rope and drops Dusty with an axe handle. Savage then starts choking Rhodes under the bottom rope. Rhodes gets his back. Get, Rhodes gets back to his feet, as, and Savage lays in some right hands. The ref ends up getting in the way of, a, of Savage, and when Savage gets free from him, Rhodes drops him with a big elbow. Dusty then hits two more elbows and a standing drop kick on Savage. Sherry ends up handing Savage her purse before getting up on the apron, distracting Dusty. Dusty gets in the ring to go after Sherry, and when he turns around, Savage nails him with a purse. Savage goes to the cover and gets the one, two, three in just over two minutes. What do you think of this one? So, um, yeah, so I, was, I mean, looking at this, well, I guess, yeah, Sapphire had a price. I do let his theme tune's good, right? So, yes. Um, they mentioned that uh, uh, Raddy Piper said, being married to the common man, yeah, that's the dream. And then he just goes, pun intended. <laughs> very, <laughs> very David Brent there. Very, yeah. Um, do you know one thing, though? I would say this. Every time I see Dusty Rhodes, again, I, I, was, a bit, I was a bit horrible about his looks earlier on. He's a big <laughs> But I must say, for a big guy, he's good, you know. He's a good wrestler. Oh, yeah, he can move uh, around, definitely. And this, I mean, is lo- but, this is a long time after his peak as well. Yeah, but he's a, he's a good wrestler. Yeah. Good, good theme. Good theme tune, as we discussed. Uh, he's powerful. He's quite skillful. You know, it's a bit like do you know when they say about um, when you get uh, you know, if you go and play five side football with like a sixty year old ex pro, yeah, and you could be twenty one and he'll run ring and well he won't run rings around you. He don't have to. He'll make you look. You, you, you'll see the difference. You'll be like, okay, that's why you're you were a professional. 
you just don't lose it, right? You, you've just got that. Your brain works, but your body might not. He clearly knows what he's doing. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. Um, did you just what was in what was in the handbag? We don't know. No, I think it was just loaded with something, maybe a brick or something. Like I mean, because my it, question yeah. was going to be like, what does she keep in her handbag? <laughs> and like, I was like thinking to myself, like, what's my missus keeping hers? Like, <laughs> nothing generally, because like I, I buy everything. So do you know what I mean? Like, but what's she keeping in her handbag? She's not Mary Poppins. <laughs> uh, so, your, unless, I, unless, unless that was the thing, unless unless sensational Siri had a bit of Mary Poppins about her in that handbag, you had a lamp. You had a piano. You, had, you know what I mean? Like maybe you had all of that. I don't know. But. And that's what took out took out Dusty Rhodes here. Yeah, that's just to say that's like that, yeah. So afterwards, Dusty chases after Sapphire, but she leaves in a limo with a million-dollar man. And back on commentary, Vince says that she owes Dusty an explanation. So up next, probably the most looked-forward-to match of the whole show, the earthquake music hits, and Piper says that he looks like a warthog and may have been a mutant rat when he was younger. Um, Vince says that Earthquake is the only man to ever put Hogan out of action for any period of time. And backstage, you have Gene Oakland, Hulk Hogan, and the big boss man. Hogan says he remembers how he felt when with Earthquake on his chest, and Hart and Dino laughing as he was taken out on a stretcher. He remembers the Hulkamaniacs with tears in their eyes. He remembers all of the letters and their tears, and the man that led the charge, Tugboat. Hogan dedicates the match to Tugboat and says he's not going to into the ring alone tonight. He has the big boss man on his side to make sure that law and order is served. Boss man says the only rights they have are to be beaten into silence, the right to have millions of fans present during that beating, and the right to a swift and impartial with Justice Judge Hogan presiding. Hogan adds that another chapter in American history will be made tonight as they chop them down. Hogan was great here. I thought the big boss man was really good too. What did you think of this? Yeah, I'll just put Hogan is the king of promos. King mm. of interviews. Um, don't want to talk about sort of um, what we touched upon earlier, who's the greatest wrestler, et cetera, et cetera, of all time. Um, I completely know it's cliche, but um, I would probably be in the camp. He, he'd be very high for me. Um, he's just the man. I mean, I, honestly, when Hogan's on there, it just... Yeah, it's I special, just, I'm, just, it? I'm just gripped. Uh, and it, and it may have a bit of uh, it may have a bit of nostalgia around the fact that you know when I was a, you know an impressionable young boy, he was the main man. Yeah. So he sticks out to me as you know I, I can see no no wrong no bad right. Um, you know we've had Tony on here before who's mentioned you know even when he went to WCW later on in his career he just went there and just completely gripped everyone there mm. as well. Um, He's just a natural. Um, who's Tugboat? Uh, so Tugboat uh, is a guy called Fred Ottman, who was um, basically like a bit, he's like a cut similar to Earthquake, and he was later in a tag team with Earthquake as he t- changed to Typhoon as natural disasters. He was like a big guy um, who became like a friend of, H- of Hulk Hogan. Um, he had okay. a famous moment on WCW television when he debuted. Uh, as the Shockmaster, when he um, was supposed to crash through a wall live on TV and he tripped over the wall and fell on the floor. And you get Davey Boy Smith was in the shot and you could hear him off camera saying, 
uh, expletive. He's just fallen over on on a, over a wall or something. So that was uh, that's probably the most famous moment of his career. I mean, um, I mean yeah, I did, I'd never heard of him. I, mean, I did like as well. Like, uh, oh, by the way, I, I really like the angle. Um, mm. The whole, you know, putting him out of putting him out of action. Oh yeah, um, etc. Look, I'm sure at the time everyone knew it was for the film. But so no, no, I I actually think oh, not. Really? Oh, yeah, okay. no, oh, no, okay. people know. So, so I would say. Um, the vast, vast, vast majority of people that, that were watching this wouldn't have known. Probably 97% wouldn't have known that he oh, was okay. out for that, yeah. Well, in that case, they sold that really well. You know, yeah. they re- that really did. Um, I also like, you know, he says, like, what are you going to do when cons- the, the constitutional rights... Yeah. Can't feel, can't. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. He was, he was, he was great here. And, and I mean, then, how, yeah. how can someone use the phrase constitutional rights and it finished and I was like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like yeah, good, yeah. My constitution, like, well, I don't even know what I even, like, what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was great. I mean, this, this, this Hogan injury angle was a big deal. Uh, you know, funny enough, one of the things I can remember early from watching stuff that summer was his, his sort of speech when he said he was coming back to take on the earthquake at the summer, Sam. Um, and this was a big deal. Match felt big. Um, and this did just over half a million buys of pay-per-view. Um, and there wasn't too much of a disparity with WrestleMania that year, um, which did 560,000. And I'd hazard a guess that the majority of that was down to Hogan's return and a lot less so Warrior versus Rude. Um, so the boss man's out again and he got a really good reaction from, from the Philadelphia crowd uh, coming out for the second time. And then the moment that Philly were waiting for, the first bars of that familiar music and the initial pop the incredible zoom shot down the aisle way um, and another f- huge pop when he first appeared. And, you know, for, for all of his faults in recent years, there's something very special about seeing Hogan, uh, a Hogan entrance right in the middle of his pop. And even this is even a bit later, but this is his comeback. And this crowd was just just bloody electric for this guy. This is what being over, this is what being a superstar in wrestling is all about. Um, Hogan gestures that he's going to slam Earthquake uh, in the match as Vince says you can hardly hear yourself think and I believed him um, what did you think of this reaction for Hogan here I mean I, th- I might have mentioned it before on the Wrestlemania one but I mean I'm watching this what's it would you say it was 30 or what were we on 30 years ago yeah 30 years ago yeah um, it doesn't matter it's just a summer slam I challenge anyone deep down whether either you actually do it or you do it in your head if you are not when you hear that music cupping your hand to your ear <laughs> or doing the sort of muscular pose. If you're, if you're telling me you're not doing that, I'm also telling you you're lying because <laughs> yeah. I had that go. But you know what? It goes on for it. And I'm just like, don't stop. Don't let this stop. Let yeah. this let's say I was, it's just great. And you know what? I can imagine, imagine He's come back. You're right. Like that must have just been huge. Oh, it was. Um, it blew the roof off this place. Like uh, th- th- there was a, such a sustained, huge reaction. He tears his shirt off. The classic ear thing. And Hogan spat right earthquake. Um, yeah, they, I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't actually. Not, not. I don't want to sound like you, but I actually didn't really like that. But I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I would say one thing as well with the earthquake situation. 
it gave it that sort of Andre when he faced Andre the Giant. Oh sort yeah, of oh to it. Yeah, they you're facing a that you're not. Lot. Yeah. yeah, you're not yeah. going to be able to. You're not going to be able to put this guy down. Yeah, that um, was the, that was a classic thing with a lot of his bigger opponents. And yeah. Dave Meltzer actually speculated that Hogan slimmed down to look smaller to make Earthquake look bigger. And I thought Hogan did look a bit leaner here. And Piper, yeah. this is this is what I thought when you said when you messaged me and said. I think I've just heard the best commentary, commentary line of all time. I thought you meant was when Roddy Piper speculates that the reason that Dino Bravo hangs no, out with I have, I have started this. I've started yeah. this commentary, Big Sal. You were close. Yeah. He said that the, the reason Dino Bravo hangs around with Earthquake is like when so-so girls hang around with larger girls to make themselves look better, and that's why Dino hangs around with Earthquake. I mean, yeah. it's just like... Sh- I, mean, I just... I mean, Piper was so quick-witted, but I just don't... This is a thing. This was nat- like like Bobby Heenan and lot- all the promos. This was natural charisma. Let the guys go. And this is what AEW is proving now with their promos. You don't need 40 writers. If you've got a creative person, they can come up with their own stuff. No one's better yeah. about their character if you're controlling it than talking about it than you. Maybe with a bit of guidance, you don't go off, yeah. off, off the rails. But yeah, this, it, was, this was great. It was just a great... Do you know what? It got sort of like a... Yeah, Dino Bravo in a great scheme of things, if you looked at everyone in that ring, was sort of probably the, the odd one out, right? And it just sort of like, just sort of put a little bit of tension towards it. Yeah. I was a little bit annoyed that for, like this happened 30 years ago and someone made a comment 30 years ago and you listened to that and realised why I knock about with you. And that made me, <laughs> I was a bit guided about that, but do you know what? Thanks. There we go. Cheers very much. <laughs> uh, so the crowd is rumbling for the start of this as Quake hurls Hogan down twice out of a collar and elbow tie-up and Piper calls him a strong warthog. And Hogan regroups on the outside where Bossman was encouraging to go after Earthquake. And Hogan went aggressive and landed punches and a kick uh, and an eye rate, but could not slam him. Earthquake then got on sustained period of offense. And Piper speculated that Hogan didn't look quite the same, like he was still hurting from his injury. And I thought that Vince and Piper both did a tremendous job on this match. Um, Watching as an eight-year-old, I very much believe that Hogan's career was in huge jeopardy here. Um, Hogan fought back with the clothesline out of the corner and finally dropped Earthquake with a punch to huge, huge cheers from the crowd. Um, Earthquake headed outside and Hogan joined him. Bossman actually went after Earthquake here in what should have been a DQ. Um, Hogan and Bossman hit both Bravo and Quake with double foot one after the other. Uh, Piper did a good job here of saying the ref wants this match to continue and he's in a tough spot, um, which I thought was very Bill Watts-esque in terms of like, you know, you can see this and he's explaining to you why something happened, which is good. Uh, the ref gets Bossman out of there, but Bravo and Quake then double team Hogan with his back turned uh, and then Quake hits Hogan with a big power slam for a near fall. Um, Earthquake came off the top rope with a forearm to Hogan's back and then viciously stamped on his fingers. Um, there's a Boston Crab, Boston Crab from Earthquake and Vince says there's no way Hogan is getting out of it just as he reached out to the bottom rope and the move had to be broken. Um, Hogan crawled to the outside and got slammed by Bravo as the boss man protested and Piper implored him to get on the floor where he belonged. Hogan then got slammed down by Earthquake uh, but then moved out of the way of a big elbow to again a big reaction from the risk, this red-hot crowd. But the rally went only so far as Hogan attempted body slam, but Earthquake fell straight on top of him for a near fall. Um, there was a bear hug by Earthquake as Hogan tried to fight out of it. He even actually te- tore the referee's shirt half off in desperation here. Um, I doubt Earl Hebner particularly enjoyed having his nipple exposed live on pay-per-view, but there we go. Um, Hogan eventually made it out with punches. He fired a couple of shoulder blocks, attempted a cross-body block, which Earthquake impressively caught, and then slammed Hogan down the power slam. 
Um, he then attempted a pin with, with his foot on Hogan, which Hogan barely escaped out of. Then the tremor started as Earthquake jumped around Hogan. He ran across the ring twice impressively at speed and then jumped down on Hogan's chest. And Vince McMahon said in a perfect tone, well, it's over. One of the greatest careers of all time and it's coming to an end at SummerSlam. Earthquake went for a second earthquake drop and hit him again. And then at the stroke of two, Superman Hogan kicked out to a huge pop from the crowd. And this is where the Hogan matches got a bit ridiculous for me. There's probably a way to do this without it being such an over-the-top thing. But regardless, the crowd ate it up. Hogan smashes punches, a big boot, and then finally hit the body slam, which got a huge reaction. He hit the leg drop, but Bravo got up on the apron. And Hart came in for the save, and Hogan pressed slammed him into Earthquake. On the outside, Hogan slammed Quake again, this time onto a table after Hart had inadvertently hit his man with a megaphone. This led to a Hogan count-out win in 13-20. Earthquake got back in there and attacked Hogan and held him in a choke until the boss man brutalised him in the back with multiple shots with a small stepladder. And those clearly hurt John Tenter as he looked mightily pissed off at this as he turned back and looked at Big Boss Man. Um, probably this didn't quite live up to the hype and, and, and while the finish was probably understandable in terms of where they're going to keep this feud going, um, it wasn't probably ideal. And I thought they killed Earthquake's finish a little bit, but it was still a joy to see these types of reactions in, in live wrestling back in 1990. What did you think of this Hogan versus uh, Earthquake encounter? Well, where do I start? Um, okay. So just one thing, uh, just more of an observation here. I'd like to ask you sort of questions about how things change over the years, et cetera. Um, there was one bit where he had him in, it might have been, he had, he, Hogan was in a submission move. Mm. And I've noticed this a few times now. It, when did tapping out come in? Because he was in this move and he was tapping the thing, right? And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, it's yeah. tapped out. And I'm like, oh no. When, when did that come in? So I don't think tapping out became a thing in, in the WWF until um, Ken Shamrock came in, in like around 97. So you linked um, to sort of a like martial art. Yeah, MMA it's a UFC thing, but it is it is a bit of an odd one to the to the eyes in terms of seeing that when you see um, like a tap out or you know yeah. the way they do submissions back of the submission. Because because now when you when you when you a submission you tap out you don't um, you don't see someone saying I submit mm. right you, you whereas obviously then it was all about that so I just that's just a side really. Um, uh, I like that the Hulk, the, I don't know, when he becomes the Hulk, if you know what I mean, originally didn't really work. So he had the slams and the bear hug, two finishes, etc. He's spasming. Um, yes. I do agree with you in regards to, I thought Earthquake looked pretty good. Um, and I do like for the finisher that he like sort of comes off both ropes to land and then he, you know, he, he done it once, he did it again. I do agree with you that, you know, if you do your finish twice and someone kicks out, it does sort of belittle the whole yeah. thing. I sort of think you maybe should have just done it the once. I, I, yeah, um, I think the finish here... Just, you just can won't... kick out someone's finisher, but doing it twice. Yeah, I and think also the finish here... Like he battered him before that. Yeah, I think the finish here should have been Hogan roll up for a three and then, then he gets destroyed after the match. And that achieves the exact same thing, and you keep her, you keep Earthquake hot because where they where they're getting to here is the house show run. But I think yeah. you're uh, 
I mean, they probably sold a, 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 a shed load of tickets anyway. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about the finish here. It's a weird because. So, because he's beating him up, and and, and then oh, so you've seen enough. You've seen more than me, but it's enough wrestling to know. Okay, he's beating him up, but this isn't. You're not going to win because yeah. you're too in control, right? And actually, I had that view until yeah, I can. There's no spot. The AEW event, uh, Dynamite just gone. Dynamite Saturday, uh, main event. Brody Lee absolutely battered Cody yeah. Rhodes from the very start and won. Mm. And you know what? That mate, for me, I was like, hello, where's that come from? Yeah. And actually, I was quite in shock by that. Um, I was very surprised. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. He didn't I actually even rewound Cody. it. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. Cody had no offense. And you know yeah. what, though? It made me go at the end. Good. Actually, yeah, that's I agree. Really good. Because you know what? You want he's different bat- staff. Different yeah. staff. He's yeah. Batted, he's batted him. Yeah. He's batted him. So there is no way Cody would kick out. There yeah. isn't. Right. Um, however, there is no way Hogan would kicked out. But, yeah. but. It's Hulk Hogan, and that's okay with me, as I put down here. <laughs> that is something now that I tell you now, if he'd have kicked out of that, I'd be watching it going, but that's it. That is so unrealistic. Yeah. This, 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 this promotion's a joke. What's going on? You'd never kick out of that. When it got to the two and he kicked out, I was like, oh, I know what's coming now. Oh, here we go. Yeah. And he's going to do that thing where he sort of looks him in the face and sort of says, no, no, no. I was like, here we go. I was over the moon, right? Um, it was he goes to try and put him through the table. Oh, that, which, that was brutal. That bump, that he earthquake yeah. slid off in it landed on his neck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It didn't break. Um, obviously, wins by count out. Uh, Hogan seems happy. Obviously, Piper sort of made it adamant that it shouldn't be. Uh, they kept calling it a chair. You were 100% correct. Correct. It was a step ladder. Yeah, in which case, it bet it hurt. Um, and going back to a bit like the entrance. There's the bit where he's won the match by count out. He's done his little thing around the ring. He goes to leave. Boss man pulls him back. And I'm like, oh. Oh, do you think he's going to turn there? Yeah. Turn. He's just gone, go back around the ring. Yeah. Right? Again, ordinary be like, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> I am still sitting there doing my hands. I'm still, I'm going, go on, go again. What do you I, I, think? I, uh, what do you think? Old Warrior felt in the back, watching, watching the num- watching the real number one baby face in a promotion. He's I not know, going there after must, that. I must be a kid. I mean, yeah. you know, oh, oh, well, what you saying now? Like, old Warrior has his sort of equivalent Hulk thing, doesn't he? Yeah, and it's just such a shame for him um, that, like, he's tried to make his own gimmick and stuff, and unfortunately, he's rocked into a promotion where the main man is just. You can't follow. You can't follow Hulk Hogan. As simple as that. Like, no, and and yeah. and you know what? Some people are. Oh, I hated him. Yeah, but you've got an opinion of him. Yeah. And if you hated him, you really hated him. Yeah. Right. No. No. People. I would say most people I speak to loved him. If they didn't love him, they hated him. No yeah. one really. No one you speak to goes. Yeah. Oh, he's very marmite, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but marmite is yeah fifty fifty. This was yeah. I'd say eighty percent liked him. Yeah, but the twenty percent that don't like him, I hate him. But brilliant, I love. Yeah, that. most of the kids at my school wanted. I remember the SummerSlam '92 Championship match was him and Randy Savage, and my, I'd say most people in Wembley that night, and also people I knew, wanted Ultimate Warrior to win. But I was one boys more Savage. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And um, so after celebration in the ring, we cut backstage to Sean Mooney, who's with Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. Mooney calls Rick, Rick, calls him Rick Rude, but then he corrects himself after Heenan shouts, hey, calls Rude the next WWF champion. Rude says that is exactly right and that Philadelphia is right with American history. 
He says, this is the building that Rocky Balboa walked into the ring to fight the seemingly invincible Apollo Creed. Rude says, that was Hollywood, but this is reality. Rude says, art often imitates life and the warrior's life is about to change because he knows nothing about a steel cage match. Rude says, this is the, his match and the warrior won't be able to run or hide. Rude says that when he enters the, enters the ring and the steel cage and the door slams behind him, it'll be symbolic of his fate being sealed as Rude becomes the next WWF champion. Rude says he will then take his rightful place outside the spectrum next to the statue of Rocky Balboa. Heenan says that Rude has beat Warrior before, referring to Rude's win at WrestleMania 5, the Intercontinental title, and tonight he's going to do it again. Heenan says this time he's going to win it in a steel cage, and he says that you, you can win either by escaping the cage or by pinfall, which is a change to the usual WF rules. Heenan says when Rude is done with Warriors tonight, there'll be no sequels, no Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. Rude then says there ain't going to be no rematch. I like this a lot, and I also really like the Rocky references. What did you think of this promo from Rick Rude? Um, just, just to sort of let the, the viewer know, if you think there's been a lot of promos, this was the start of a little mini promo sesh. Oh, no, yeah, quite um, But going on to Rick Rude, first of all, um, he's got tr- trunks designed for this match. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, on the back, he's got Ultimate Warrior. Right, it looks like Ultimate Warrior. Very good picture of Ultimate Warrior. For his own face on the front, it looks like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> it looks absolutely nothing like <coughs> him. Uh, you'd think he'd spend a bit more attention on his own. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know why he's like he's put his own face on his on the front. <laughs> um, the Rocky reference I love. Um, yeah. Me and you've had this chat before. Big Rocky fans. I also love the fact he went no Rocky one, two, three, or four. Just to clarify, five come out that year. Yes, 1990. What a perfect plug. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. you'd have known that was coming out by that stage. Yeah, oh, big time. Yeah. Uh, my. The worst of a lot, Rocky Five. I can't remember if we've clarified, but we and you have talked about it. Support. I know you've discussed Rocky. Uh, and I know we have, mm. but maybe not on the thing. But your favourite? Oh, it's tough between Rocky One and Rocky Two. Yeah, I, see, that is where you one definitely completely understand. Yeah, who says two? Joe, you know what I really love the probably my favourite line in all of the Rocky films is with Rocky and Adrian after Adrian's ill when she gives birth, and he's sitting there in the hospital with her, and she's like, uh, "You should get some sleep." And he's like, "Oh, don't worry." And he's and he's basically says to her, "Like, I don't. If you don't want me to mess around with Apollo Creed anymore, I won't. I won't." And she's like, "I want you to do something for me." And he like, "Is it like what? What do you mean?" And he's thinking like, "I want you to get like the new baby, like a pram or something." And she says, "Win." And then Mickey's in the background, and like Rocky's confused, and she says it again, and, and Mickey's like, "What are we waiting for?" And I'm like, "Oh, this is incredible." So I I think Rocky Two is is. I think Rocky One's probably my favourite, but Rocky Two's really, really close. Really I view two. I view two like uh, them matches that we say, oh, that just filled a bit of a gap. Oh, really? Are you are you more Rocky Four man by chance? I am, and I know yeah. you're not. No, I'm not. I don't mind Rocky Four, but I think Rocky Four is the most Hollywood of them, and I think I the story. I, I, I met Dolph Lundgren in Marbella once. So, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. It sort of ended it for me, mainly because I was just like, wow, that's Dolph Lundgren. Met him, called him, called called Ivan him, Drago, oh, yeah. Called him Ivan Drago, yeah. yeah. To which he just laughed, and to the point <laughs> that my dad had to correct me when it's Dolph Lundgren, and I was like, "Huh?" 
I just assume it's the same bloke. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I love Rocky. Can't get enough of it. Um, yeah. I do like Rocky so, Four, and I think Rocky Four is an incre- Rocky Four is like an hour and twenty seven minutes on it. So it's incredible. It's so entertaining. But as a I kind of feel like perhaps this is the wrestling fan. In I me. know what you that, don't like. I know yeah, what that crowd's like. never turning on Drago, and that kills it for me a little bit. But the, but but to be honest, the the, the the I can't remember what the song is. Like, the songs are so good. There's no no easy way out where he's driving around the yeah. car thinking about fighting him. The, the the end credits are Hearts on Fire, which is another unbelievable song. Um, I, I actually I watched Rocky Three not all that long ago. Rocky Three is actually quite underrated. Rocky Three is yeah, a very is. decent film. Yeah, it is, yeah, I mean, and actually. Rocky Balboa is very good. I actually think the the first Creed was was excellent as well. The Creed, Creed Two was fine, but the first Creed was an excellent film. And Tony Belli was really good in that as well. Yeah, really good. So uh, back to this. Where are we? Probably more promo, I'd imagine. So yeah, now Dusty. to Dusty Rhodes and Gene Oakland offering up his innocence. Oh crikey! So yeah, Gene says that one of the saddest things is that things he saw was Dusty in the tunnel trying to get Sapphire back. Dusty calls it emotion. He says. Emotion is what this great sport is built on. Dusty says Sapphire took the money, and that's fine. Um, Dusty says he offered up his innocence to her. Are we led to believe that he's saying that he lost his virginity to Sapphire? That's I, how no, I I've, just, I've just put, I don't know what that means. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they weren't, I don't think, and again, this is... Were they an item? Because at one point, well, I thought Roddy Piper's mentioned that they were a couple. Well, I think that was the idea, but... It, I don't think it was supposed to be romantic, particularly. It wasn't overtly said, but I think they played on that for this angle. Um, so, yeah, he said that he, he offered up his innocence to her and she paid him back in scorn. Um, Dusty says only in America can he, can, only American can give him shelter from the storm because he's in a storm. Dusty says people were screaming, when, when is he going to get mad? When is he going to get even, Big Dust? Dusty says that the million dollar man can buy anything, but he can't buy Dusty Rhodes. And he can't buy the American way of life that is in his heart. Thus, he says he's getting bad and he's coming for Ted DiBiase. Uh, I thought Rhodes was really strong here. Uh, but by yeah. this point, I'd had enough of these promos. What did you think of this? Do you know what? It's really interesting you said that because my I've noticed my notes to the each bit of sort of the promo elements have died yeah. down. Yeah. Um, and you're right. He was actually quite good in this, but I kept it to a minimum. Mainly, uh, to be honest, I was still a bit in shock about the whole he's offered his innocence up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because obviously, as you know, we then go to a, we then go to another promo. Yeah, I mean this 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 second half of this show is is a slog, I think, and and the, and this is this is something that where you know this is pay per view. You don't you don't need these. You, you've bought it. You're in. You're in. You're you've you're, you, you've bought what they've set they're selling. You don't need a lot of promos for the next one because you're going to get months of promos for the next pay per view. And a lot of this, I suppose, is for house shows, but it just feels a bit much. Um, Hogan says that he felt so we're, so we're backstage now with Hogan and Gene Oakland and Gene says he doesn't know if things were settled tonight Hogan said that the only thing left him to do is to quick start his wide glide and ride right up to Jack Tony's office Hogan says that the Hulkamaniacs realise that he's still the strongest force in the WWF Hogan says that Tony needs to realise they're building new buildings all over the country in New York Los Angeles Chicago Hogan says the new buildings are earthquake proof because he is going to take this big fat dude and drag him all over, all the way across the country. Hogan said he is going to do this until Jack Tunney puts him in his rightful spot, and that's the number one contender. Gene says he thinks he's there already. 
this is clearly setting up the house show run and why Hogan only won by count out. And Hogan says that he felt the love of the Hulkamaniacs. It proves that this thing is going to last forever. Hogan says this is the decade of the little, little Hulksters. And he says there are four demandments now. They're train, pray, eat your vitamins and believe in yourself. And Hogan says he's going, to, going out and buying a new surfboard. And he's going to take it out to Venice Beach, California. And he's going to find the biggest sharks out there. And he says when he catches that tidal wave, and he says tidal wave again, he's going to ride it all the way to the top. And what are you going to do, brother? Uh, really strong from Hogan again and clearly setting himself up to get back in line for the WF world title. What do you think of this uh, this Hogan promo again? Yeah, just just quickly, before he come on, they went to Lord Alf. Alfred. Oh, yeah, I've missed that about the cage. I thought that was a really nice touch, actually. Do you want to run through what, what that was all about there? Oh, well, I've got a bit of responsibility. Yeah, there. let's uh, uh, shift, it, shift it over. I've, I've not got the notes. Um, ultimately, just to, to clarify, I've got a bit of a different style to, to speak. <laughs> uh, they discussed the construction of the cage. Yes, uh, yeah. And um, it's the old old type of cage. Old blue bars, and yeah. That, and, it, and he mentioned that, they, that they, they, they'd set the... Uh, the workers on it a, a challenge yes, to be yeah. their personal best which was eight and a half minutes yeah which obviously then see so thing is you hear that and then you go okay i understand why there's loads of promos now yes we should have said that earlier um, i yeah. don't know what the excuse was for earlier on but anyway i actually thought it was a really good touch actually oh, i really like this actually i don't and know why i missed them. it yeah it was really good it showed right. the sort of the barbarity of the, of the cage and all that sort of stuff yeah. I thought it was really good yeah and what i found really interesting was and a quite amusing to, to smile in head is when he said it was he discussed oh it's got eight separate sections um held together by 12 poles and all i could think as soon as he said it i was like i had a cage with my little wrestling set yeah and that had eight separate sections and so and i was like i could do that up you know because <laughs> like, that used to be a real like because you couldn't fit it in the box if it was fully assembled yeah so you had to disassemble it after or yeah, is that the right? So was that the was that was that the WCW uh, ring you had? No, I had a. Uh, oh, do you know what? I I don't know. I was going to say I had a WWF ring, but knowing my parents and it's the nice possible way, a uh, lot of people that most people listen to this won't know North End Road. But it's a road in Fulham with a load of market stores. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. I suspect it was WFWBDG. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, but the but the the cage. You had to set up in eight bits. So I yeah. was just like, I do like, you know what? Looking back now, I'm like, wow, that was, you know, when they like sort of try and sell you the wrestlers and they go, oh, be the stars, be the yeah. I was literally one of the construction workers. I know what it was like to be one of them guys. And they should have rang me because I'll tell you what, I'm not that out in less than eight and a half yeah, minutes. Yeah, didn't need eight and a half minutes. This. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was his bit, which I thought was really good. I have to put a note, why is he a lord? Oh, because he's British. Know? Brilliant. Yeah. Great. So they, so they, they could have had me on there, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Nor Dan. Uh, he's uh, at that stage three years old, but he's knocked <laughs> up this uh, <laughs> this uh, 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 fake wrestling ring. Um, yeah, sorry. The, 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 the promo. Uh, sorry, Jack Tully is who? Sorry. Uh, figurehead WF president, basically. I assume so, yeah. yeah. Um, he mentioned about, uh, it's also about, he got 400,000 cards and letters. Uh, oh yeah, uh, which I don't believe because, as we know, there's a lot of exaggeration in this. But that's four hundred thousand people on the mailing list. I um, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he got six figures, but I'm not sure about four hundred thousand. Um, and then he does his motto, 
and I'm like, ugh. And then um, I may or may not have spent the afternoon seeing if I can get that in a tattoo. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, going back to the, the the toys, the WCW ring I had as well, which had the cage, which I think may have been the one that you had. But the, that that WCW ring, apart from the ropes, that was much better than the ring because the ring was completely flat to so stand the figures up, and it had like a little flippy thing out the corner where you could put some on the top top of the thing. Flipper, oh yeah, I had that. Yeah, that what, was so it. the WWE ring wasn't flat. So the WWE ring, which I've still got my mum's. The, the surface of the plastic wasn't flat enough, so it was really difficult to get the wrestlers to stand up in it, if that makes sense. Whereas the WCW uh, one was perfectly flat. It was like a little uh, bit of right, plastic. Okay. So the WWF one was more of like a bendy plastic, which wasn't completely flat. So it got it basically became warped, whereas the WCW one was, was a bit better. Um, so, yeah, so back back to the to, – we get a, a, some quick thoughts from Piper and Vince on what we've just seen. Uh, and then we cut basically talking about, you know – Hogan felt the power of Earthquake and blah, 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 and setting up future matches. And we cut to Sean Mooney with Dino Bravo, Jimmy Hart and Earthquake. And with Earthquake's back turned to the camera showing the welts, and which Jimmy Hart kept poking, which kind of felt nice, um, and says that Earthquake just heard the comments from Hulk Hogan. And he spoke to the future of Hulk Hogan, that Hulkamania is alive and well. Earthquake says he's not finished with Hulk Hogan yet and that the war has just begun. Um, he says that it's not just Hogan he'll be coming after, but the boss man as well what he did to his back and Earthquake says he's not running away from Hogan and it will take him on any time and anywhere um, and he isn't sure uh, what Hogan's been doing but it worked tonight but next time he'll inflict more damage before inflicting the Earthquake on Hogan um, it says next time Hogan might be walking out um, so basically Hogan and Earthquake did 57 house show matches either in singles or occasionally in tags with their few going all the way through to March 1991 so clearly that's a reason why um they didn't have a clean, you know, clean finish for Hogan pinning him here. Um, so next up on Summer Talk eight, uh, 1990, we are with the Ultimate Warrior and Gene Oakland. Warrior asks Gene what Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan have in common, the Liberty Bell, and one, and he says one is cracked and the other is a ding-dong, not classic humour from the Ultimate Warrior here. Um, Gene says that Warrior's destiny lies before him. Warrior says that when in a course of human events as it, beca- it becomes necessary to protect his right to be WF champion, Warrior says he must do what our forefathers did, and that's never to be afraid to face an adversary and always be willing to step into a new frontier. Warrior says that Rick Rude will not be able to predict the establishment of a more perfect union than he and his warriors. Uh, Warrior says that the sacrifices he and his warriors are willing to take against an adversary are far greater than anything Rude has known. Warrior says they don't fear the unknown of a new frontier, but they revel in it. Warrior says these are the things that are the lifeblood of the ultimate nation and these are the things that are the lifeblood of the ultimate warrior. What do you think of uh, the ultimate warrior here? So just before that, you had the earthquake promo. Just as a quick thing on that, he's, he's bumping around again, he's jogging around again. And yes. I noticed that when he really got into it, he sort of, I, I think he may have push, pushed his fitness levels a bit too far. <laughs> he, he walked off camera uh, by the end of talking I, I think he may have he looked like okay I am a big guy and yeah. I have just fought and I've just yeah um, yeah for the the warrior one um, it was a really good pro one thing I was really looking at was his his his, his painting there. yeah looked like it was peeling off at the bottom yeah make you wonder is it is it stuck on then or is it painted on I always was wondered it whether it was a transfer Right, it looked, like, it, it, looked like it, was, though, yeah. it looked like it was peeling off. 
Yeah, I, he, he used to peel off a lot. I, I, have, I have a vague feeling that, you remember like transfer tattoos you used to get, you used yeah, to peel yeah. off like that. I reckon they used to have a transfer and would just put it on his face before he went out so it didn't take so much time. Right, okay. Otherwise, someone painting that is probably taking like 20 minutes, half an hour, isn't That's it? That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, two minutes, that is literally my... To be honest, as, as we just said, I was, by this stage, uh, I'd say I was just like, we just get the match out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, compl- I completely agree. So the Rick Rude music on the network is removed from a place with something awful that is completely the wrong sound level. Um, Rude gets on the mic and he says that he wants all the fat, out of shape, pencil so that. So that was... Sorry, that wasn't his music. No, his music was similar. It was that, like wasn't something it? Yeah. from a. I just put here. It's like something from a striptease. Yeah, if you Google it afterwards, his music's very similar to that. But that, I must have been. It must have been licensed by somebody else. Wow, we. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, so Rude gets on the on the mic and says he wants all the fat, out of shape Pennsylvania pissants to keep the noise down while he takes his robe off and gives everyone a good look at the next World Wrestling Federation champion. Um, the Warriors pop from the crowd is definitely less than Hogan, but still quite impressive. He runs around and around and around on the outside. No doubt absolutely knackering himself out in the process. Um, Rue climbs up to the side of the cage and implores him to get in there and fight. Warrior holds up the WF World title belt, this time the stupid amended version that he was allowed to have that was in green. Did you spot this? The belt wasn't black? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. I don't, so I was a bit confused, actually, um, just, just as a, just as a side, this isn't me just bringing this up. I did text you about it. Your quiz last week said yes. that this wasn't for the. There was X amount of matches that weren't for the title. So when, so when the quiz happened, I was listening. I was like, oh, okay. And I thought, oh, okay. So it was obviously for the. So when was when was his? What WrestleMania was it again where he fought Hogan that when they won well the Clash of Champions? Early that year, WrestleMania six. Yes, yes. So yeah. I thought, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay. I assume I just I'd forgot about the match from earlier on. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I assume that they're going. So when I saw that, I just thought, oh, the Intercontinental Belt might be a different colour. And then I rewatched the show and was like, oh, okay, hang on, this is. So then yeah. I was so so I get why I was a bit confused. Um, so he gave up the Intercontinental title soon after WrestleMania, and then there was a tournament which Mr. Perfect yeah, won. Sure, yeah. yeah, so yeah, so I, so then so then so then I, you know after you said I was I did notice yeah it's different. Yeah, um, yeah. But, so what? Sorry, what? Why was that? Uh, because they uh, because they wanted to make it colourful to fit him with his colourful character, which I I hate that. I just, just uh, have the belt, right. always have the belt. Like if it was down to me, I'd have, yeah, I'd have all the belts that there was back then. I'd. I'd and back to what it was. Um, oh, so I did. So I thought like John Cena was sort of like the first person that sort of did all that sort of no, stuff. No, yeah, this this is there's been a few different. He had a different cut. Warrior had a different color Intercontinental title belt when he was Intercontinental Champion as well. Uh, so okay. New thing. In fact, the WrestleMania six one, I think he went in with maybe a yellow IC belt. Um, so the belt inexplicably inexplicably rings with Warrior on the outside of the cage, even though the rules are get out of the cage. It's like, well, what's he, he could just drop down and he'd won the match. Okay, good. Right, I'm got, sorry. I just yeah. that I I'm, I thought I, I saw that, and I've watched it twice now, and I just thought you were gonna. I was gonna say this, and gonna come across silly to everyone. No, no. Uh, they've rang the bell. He's out. I was just like, just drop off the. Yeah, Warrior was climbing him. up the cage. And but, again, look, yeah. I know he's not gonna do that. But one of the things we've discussed many times before, we mentioned it earlier on with Bret Hart. You want to, it to be realistic to a degree, and realistically, yeah. you'd have just jumped down. 
Yeah, of course you would. You just win the match. It is what it Obviously is. Obviously, just like, a bit of a bodge, really. Just yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, so, Rude takes a huge bump into the side of the cage as Piper says that if he was in there, he would tie Warrior's arms to the bars and that it was the dumbest thing he'd ever seen for Warriors to be wearing those arm tassels. Um, Rude clearly was working his behind off here to try and make this as good as possible and his first and only pay-per-view singles main event at the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, Warrior missed an attempted cross-body block and slammed into the side of the cage himself. Rude tried to escape the cage uh, in a rule that I absolutely bloody hate in cage matches. I just think it's such a stupid, stupid rule. Cage matches should be you're locked in, pinfall submission, that's it. Um, I completely disagree. Oh, I just, really, I just don't like what it's surely, surely That's why they brought in Hell in a Cell. Yeah, fine. But this, this, this cage match rules is a, this, this. Yeah, but, but if it's in a cage, so you view it as a cage, you're locked in a cage. Yeah, this, this is only a WWF thing. So this, so this, these rules are WWF rules rather than I am, cage match I am rules. very much a, you get out of the cage. Yeah. I, I actually, yeah. when they say you can have a pinfall, they're like, oh, it's no disqualification, right? No disqualification. Straight away when they say that and you're in a cage, I don't want a ref in there. Yeah, I... It's not for me. I, I think get, what out, about get the, out. What about the door, though? I can understand that if you're climbing over the top. The door The is, door annoys me as well. Yeah. For me, it's you're out or not. The reason yeah. I can always, I always in my mind with the door go, okay, the door, is because if you have a, an epic match, you're not going to be able to climb yeah, out. Yeah, perhaps. Don't get me wrong, the door used to frustrate me a little bit because I'd be a bit like, you throw him in the corner, you do, like, you do a finisher, you just stroll out. Yeah, yeah, that annoyed me a bit, but no, yeah, I'm the complete opposite. Actually, I, I disagree, oh, interesting. Yeah. So Rudy's busted open somewhere in here. Um, did you spot where this was, or did you spot him cutting himself? <laughs> you know, no, you're the that. you're the expert. Uh, Blade well, jobs. I can only assume. So what happened was he, so he hit the cage. They panned to the warrior. Yeah, just him, but okay. very quickly, very quickly. So it's probably in that I did. I assume it's then, but to be honest, it's one of the ones where it's it's one of the better ones where I where actually part of me's going because if he stored it, he'd have to have had it in his boot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I would say one thing. Yeah, it was one of the. I I actually part of me thought maybe he did actually do it. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I I did I did go back. The warrior got slammed to the cage as well, and he and the context was about him bus be a bus open. It was difficult to see initially with his hair and face paint. Um, I thought this was only so-so, and I think this was a tough spot on the card um, after Hogan. Um, and this wasn't a new match with most of, with these guys having feuded for a lot of 1989, so this wasn't too long ago. In fact, they actually fought at SummerSlam 89, where Warrior won. This is, this is a um, you know this is a, a feud is you know still fresh in the in the minds of people here. So. Um, Basically, Rude, with the match one, um, decided to climb up to the top and he dropped two. He dropped, dropped a chop to the head of Warrior when Bobby Heenan was screwing it to leave. Um, and the second time he went for this, he was caught with a shot to the gut. Um, There's also a spot here, as we talked about, it was unusual, where Heenan slammed the cage door into Warrior's face for a near fall with a referee on the inside, which is unusual for WF cage match rules because uh, you're kind of a blur in the lines between the NWA, which was referee on the inside, submission pin, versus WF, which was escape the cage of no referee on the inside. And eventually, Warrior warriored up after some more interference from Bobby Heenan and a big clothesline from Rude. Piper questioned what Warrior was doing with his arms, and Vince said he was pulling the power from his Warriors. And I thought it was clear from his commentary um, that Piper had no love for Warrior whatsoever. Um, Warrior hit several clotheslines, hit Rude with a press slam, and climbed out of the cage for the win. 
um, stopping short on the way down for a hip gyration um, to really uh, insult Rude on the way down. And he won in 10 minutes and one second. So what do you think of this WF World title match here to close out Summer Sam 90? So I just realised, I completely, you mentioned about the, 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 the statement about the fat piss ants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I can't believe I, I I didn't I didn't mention the fact that the the uh, the irony of them who they panned to. Oh yeah, there were some interesting characters who were panned to. They, that wasn't there. Uh, they panned. They said the fat pissants, whatever, and they panned to this bloke. And you know what? He would have to have gone home. That 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 was on live TV, right? <laughs> they panned to a bloke. I'm how can I describe? Fifty plus. Yeah. yeah. He, he had most of his teeth, and the ones he had were of different angles. Um, massive spectacles, a baseball cap that like he shouldn't have been wearing. You know, we just like, come on, like, this guy's got a family. Do you know what I mean? I, sorry, I just had to write that. Like, it's just, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I burst out laughing, but it's, you know, it's, it's not on. Um, yeah, the other thing was he, he jumped off the, he jumped off the, he jumps off the cage uh, roof. Hits him. Yep. He goes up again. You know what's coming. Yeah. Um, originally, actually, I, I when I watched it, I wondered if he if what happened after the second jump was meant to happen originally, and they got there too, and I worried didn't get up quick enough. Okay. Because the jump wasn't very good. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so I had that. Um, yeah, you had you know they're trying to get out, trying to not get out. Uh, he gets out. He does his little sort of belly roll thing. Um, one thing that I would say that the show ended with, actually, before I go to that bit, I thought it was an okay match. I thought it was okay. Um, then I remembered that on the pod last week, you mentioned about SummerSlam 94, and I watched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cage match. And now I realise that this is a bang average cage Yes, match. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have done but, that. But to, be, but, but to be fair, you're, you're watching a bang average cage match versus... In my opinion, the best cage match ever. Yeah. So know, that is, yeah, that's a big, um, yeah. But but what I did, like, the show ended with something you don't see anymore. Warrior slinging the belt around his head like yes. a lasso. Yeah. I need to see more of that. I need to see more <laughs> of that action. That You know what? That makes the person, rather than just holding up, going, oh, I've won the belt, sling it around your head a few times. I think someone Absolutely did that brilliant. more recently than... Maybe Cena or maybe Batista. One of them did that at some point after Absolutely Bigger Moon. Yeah. 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 Um, so this card had a really, really great early portion, basically up to the conclusion of the tag team title match. I thought the middle section was a bit of a tough watch with way, way too much talking on pay-per-view. Um, but the show came back to life with a bang with a Hogan match. Um, the main event was a little bit underwhelming, but that was a sign of the times really with the Warrior in this role um, that wouldn't last that much longer, only to the Raw Rumble in 91, where the title was off him. And that was it in terms of world titles for the Ultimate Warrior. Um, so, Dan, what are your final thoughts on SummerSlam 1990? And what would you give this one out of 10? Um, so, as you said, the start was really good. Um, the promos are in the right place. They're the right length. Then it just went so promo heavy. Yeah. Um, what it I must be one of the mo- more promos got time, to be. yeah. Two hours Absolutely. forty. The show it wasn't a long show either. Yeah, there loads wasn't of promos. Much wrestling, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, but the, the first few matches were great. Such an easy watch. I was having a, such enjoying watching it. I was texting you. I was watching. Oh, mate, I'm loving this. Then it just got really stale. Um, now look, it may have got stale because the start was so good. Uh, 
Hogan coming back was brilliant. Um, and I think the last match was saved by the fact that it was a like a novelty match. It was a cage match. Um, so it gave it that little bit of an edge. Um, yeah. But pay-per-view as a whole, if I look at it and think about, think that, again, two title changes, given it when it was, given the different storylines, I'd, I'd give it a good score, you know. I'd, I'd be looking at about, I know you're harsher than me, but I'd be looking at sevens, eights. I, yeah. Because, and I'm talking about, because it was enjoyable. Yes. If you're watching yeah. it like, oh, what was the technique like? What was the, Okay, fine. But I, yeah, it, I, yeah. watched, I watched that and it was two hours, whatever, and I didn't finish. And when I finished it, I didn't think I'd been watching it for two hours. I think if you weren't taking notes, I know this is very different because we're taking notes. I think if yeah. you're not taking notes, this is a breeze to watch because the Easy. promos are good fun. It's only because we're, we're... The promos feel a lot worse for us because we're trying to recap yeah. them. But actually, mm. in terms of a watch, this is a breeze, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. It's a great watch, yeah. Yeah. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I would give... I'd go seven out of ten for this. I think... Uh, I love the I love the early stuff. Even the Rockers' power and glory, the Texas Tornado title win, the the the, the, the tag team title match, and seeing Hogan. I think it's a real interesting, um, you know, difference between the Hogan and the Warrior. I think it's a really interesting time where you you know the torch has been passed, and you get really 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 clear clarity around. You get a Hogan return, and the crowd is at a level. Like let's say they're at a ten out of ten, and you get the Warrior out of there, and he just feels like a bit of an up, upper card. Yeah, you know, upper, upper mid card baby face is is fine, but it's not it's not Hogan finishing I, the show. I guess they've done it because they want to put the the title on last, right? But then as yeah, as as, as the quiz last week jokes aside, they didn't have to. No, they didn't have to. But it was more of a tradition then. Was I think now now Hogan's going to last all day long if that was the yeah. that's the same thing. So that is it for our August. Uh, look back uh, this month in wrestling history. Have you decided what we're doing next month? As of yet, it's your pick. I've got, do you know what? I've got a few contenders. Let me whack it out there. To anyone that's still listening to this podcast. Because <laughs> I think know, we might you, be three and up three plus hours in at this point, which is which is uh, might be a new if, record. If, if you know any September this month from wrestling September's, feel free to give suggestions. I've had a few suggestions, um, and I think I know what I'm going with, but uh, you know, I, I, I've not fully decided as yet. Okay, well, we look forward to that towards the latter part of September. I know it's always a highlight of the month. Um, Dan, where can people find you on Twitter um, for suggestions uh, and also yeah. to congratulate Fulham on the 12th of September after our first Premier League yeah. victory? At Dan P. FFC. Excellent. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time again. And we look forward to speaking thank to you again next month. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments. And I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.